The healer doesn't go around telling people that they are healers, they just are. The witch doesn't hop over the hedge to prove she's a witch, she just is. The medicine man doesn't explain why his medicine cures, it just does. The shaman doesn't claim to connect heaven and earth, it just happens. The way you alchemize a soulless world into a sacred world is to treat everyone as if they are sacred, until the sacred in them remembers. As each new person awakens, the timeline changes and an alternate reality becomes our current reality. I show you that I love you. You show that love to another. An act of kindness by me is an act of kindness from you to another. The power to change our realities one by one will change what the reality of this world is. Testing, uh, are we on? And four, three, hear me huh? welcome to the, the spirit animal podcast this is the real george of the jungle pardon there we had some technical difficulties with the mic can you believe it or not this is episode 12 and we have it with the banger today with walters the dote man there's a lot of positive things that this man has brought into our lives and as well to other people's lives this guy is truly an iconic for tucson arizona one of the best DJs, hands down Pardon to all the other DJs out there, but always much love. Without further ado, Walter Zadone. Hey, what's up, George? My brother. How you doing? Good man? morning. Getting over that cold, like I told you, man, but we're running at 100 today. Heck yeah, I love it. How's it going, man? Got that gig going on later out the neighborhood? Yeah, um, I just switched over to the neighborhood uh, rooftop, so I've been doing the second story uh, moving forward from 11 to 2 a.m. If anybody wants to come through, I got you. you guys I'll, take care of you. I'll, I'll get you on my guest list, get a skip the line, <laughs> feel a little fancy, you know. Um, buy there you go. <laughs> That's the best way to spend this. What is it today? Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Man, well, it's it's truly an honor, bro, to actually get you on the show. Um, I've been wanting to schedule you in in the beginning, but let's make a little bit more of it. That way, we can get more of that flux. So that's why I scheduled you more in the middle. That way, we can get that you know rolling. Um, I myself was tempering in waters that I had never touched. So the less the technical difficulties to you, the better I would feel. Because man, if I can start with saying, man, the opportunities that you brought to our realm with reptiles were insane. And it all started with you, Ariana, and you know her reptuck as well, and and as well La Bella Luna Boutique. It's insane the the amount of traction that it, it brought just by you know a couple showings with Walters the Don. Um, like I said, man, you are iconic, and and we truly appreciate you. Thank you, bro. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that. Um, I think after the first time you had gone to, um, did we do the Safaeta party first? That safari theme party, or did we do Zima first together? So I hit up Chris Carr first, and then he hooked me up with Richie. Uh, we talked about me going in on the first Safaeta night. I hadn't talked to you or at all. I didn't know who you were until we met that night. 
And I think we you scheduled me for Zima, and then we did part two for Safaera night. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. It yeah, was man. Um, when I was planning that whole Zima festival, um, I was doing it all on my own with like a couple of DJ homies that were helping me. I've, I've never thrown a festival ever before in my life, but I knew that I wanted to like give a platform to all my, you know, all my DJ friends and and anybody who was trying to come up in the game. And along with that, like, I wanted to have some interesting pop-ups there. And um, in the middle of planning, I was like, man, you know what? This is this is great. We, we got some good vendors and stuff. Um, the DJs are all booked. Production is on the way, you know? But there's we need a wow factor. There's no wow factor right now. Like, there's not something that's going to, like, blow things out of the water or, or make, like, a, a memorable moment. Um, for the people who are attending. And um, once I connected with you and we set you up in, in the back, um, we gave you like your own little like green room area that you set up in. And man, your setup was so nice, bro. Everybody loved uh, going over to you and taking pictures. I mean, he, you had all the girls back there looking like mad sexy with like their boots out with a big old snake on their neck and stuff. You had lizards out there. It really, it really elevated the experience for a lot of people, and uh, I want to thank you, man, for for uh, showing up oh, to my event, sure, you know, and, and doing your thing, bro. You do an excellent job, and and people can tell you're an animal lover, and, and they trust you um, when they need that guidance. So I appreciate that on your end. Definitely, brother, and that's honestly what we're here for for the animals and exposure to human nature it's really hard for a person to comprehend you know the, the interaction between humans and exotic animals because there's that what if it bites me or what if i get hurt but working with that animal and and, and it's give to say that not only me man but if there's anybody out there in tucson arizona who would be down to do the same thing to expand that same way because it's about expansion you know it's about duplication and, and creating somebody else it's not just to keep it to myself and that's how i feel at this moment like nobody's really you know, wanting to do the same thing. And I have people hitting me up in Phoenix and they're like, man, can I go down there for a show or can we schedule something here in Phoenix? But nobody in Tucson, if there's anyone, you know, who does want to chop in with their own snakes or bring their own animals, that would be great, bro. Because it, like you said, man, it's all about helping the public too. Yeah, man, that's incredible. Even that, you know, like you, you opening up that world to other people uh, is so important. And Man, I commend you for it, and, and I'm glad you found, like, a, a dope niche, you know, and you're, you're a professional, bro. You're so, you're so good at what you do. It's really admirable. I appreciate you, brother. Stop stroking me, <laughs> but I appreciate right. you a lot. What are your spiritual practices, bro? Like, this is a the Spirit Animal Podcast, and that's the first question. What are your spiritual practices as, like, your daily habits or your routine? Um, I, I don't really have, like, a whole lot of, like, uh, daily routines or, or rituals, per se, you know what I mean? But when, when I'm being a decent human... I'll like wake up. I'll, I'll make the bed. Um, recently, I've been fasting a lot, so um, uh, I'll fast until like uh, four p.m. ish um, before I have my first meal. I'll have some coffee, um, but for the most part, like my spiritual practices, I I grew up Catholic. Um, I don't know if I I'm a true Catholic, you know. Like I I definitely don't fit the script in a lot of places. Um, 
but uh but i pray bro i pray and 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 i give thanks for my blessings you know um my mom's real uh spiritual and um she lights candles and prays for me so i do the same thing um i'll light a candle if if there's something uh special that i want to pray for or you know you know bring upon me or, or someone else in the world and um i'll light another one uh to give thanks bro because uh I, I feel so blessed lately and I feel so lucky to be like where I'm at. Uh, anytime I feel like the universe brings me something that I need, I feel like I need to, I need to thank it somehow. I need to honor it in some sort of way. So uh, I think spiritually, uh, as far as like um, things that I do, I think probably the deepest one is probably like praying and uh, lighting candles. Awesome, bro. That and going back to like the whole like Catholic thing, like like you said, there's no script. As long as you feel good about yourself, if you feel those blessings coming, that's beautiful in itself. You know, it's really beautiful. I, I admire that, and I condemn you for that, brother. It's, it's it's a lot to 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 actually do. Just the simple action of you like giving thanks and putting that candle up, and you're like feeling that energy just reciprocate again and again and again. And that to me is more spiritual than any other technique. You know, it's just implementing those small little things. Uh, do you have a spiritual religion or a belief? You said it was Catholicism, but do you pray to God yourself or God in any form? Mm, I feel like I, I pray to God pretty often, um, more like a higher being than, you know, one specific deity or like. You know, like, oh, I only played it like Jesus Christ himself or something like that. Nothing like that. Um, I do pray to saints. I, I play. I pray to San Juditas just because that's like what I grew up with. Um, but it works for me. It makes me feel good. Um, besides that, man, I don't know. Like, if I had to pick something as long as, like, my spiritualism, I don't think I could, like, really hone in on, like, Catholicism. Because there's, like, a lot of things that I don't agree with, honestly. Um and I'm not like a big church goer or, or anything yep. like Same that. I, I, I did grow up that way, though. Like, you know, my family's very traditional Mexican. So, like, I went to, to catechism. I, I did the classes. I did, like, my confirmation. The whole spiel, you know what I mean? I, I went through it. Um, but I don't know if I would identify with that right now. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm good uh, where I'm at spiritually with me and, like, my connection to the world. And um, sometimes I think like uh, um, I grew up with my grandmother and um, she passed away like a couple years ago. And sometimes I, and sometimes I pray to her. Um, I don't know if it's because like, it's like a grieving thing that, that humans do. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel I feel connected and I feel safe uh, when I pray to her. And it almost feels like. Uh, like I'm praying to my ancestors, you know? And, and let me stop you there, bro, because what you just explained is literally what I practice with in Santeria. You know, you're you're not praising any specific deity. You're praising nature. And honestly, we come from that same ground. You know, we come from Earth and we become some part of evolution. So if, if you take everything as everything has a purpose in this world and everything should be respected, what you just said about praying to your ancestors that just came out naturally because that that's your higher self because you're praying to that higher self. You know that those ancestors were the ones who communed you. 
who made you, right? Who made Walter who he is, you know, the genetics from your great-great-grandfather, the genetics from your great-great-grandmother. If they wouldn't have met, you know, somewhere in New York, this is per se, they wouldn't have met in New York, you know, and then traveled thousands of miles by foot, you wouldn't have been here. So it's like giving thanks to all of those steps, giving thanks to everything before you came. That's beautiful, you know, because it's like you're humbling yourself to think it's not just about me. It's about like the projection that I'm giving up forward, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely um, don't think it's about me. I hope it's it's not all about me shit because <laughs> I'd be I'd be stuck <laughs> in the rough spot. Um, <laughs> It really, it really brings me a lot of peace, bro. Uh, in that way, and and I was very close to her, and um, I feel like a, a lot of my family uh, had a, a really tough time during the grieving process. Um, uh, I remember, like, uh, once my my grandma passed away, I was I was staying with her. I had just got back from Phoenix, um, and I was working for Apple Music at the time. So like I was building a whole ass radio station for Apple Music from like an extra bedroom in my grandma's apartment. Um, and I had been away from, from her place for maybe like three years already. So I would go and visit, you know, and spend time with her. Um, and in those like last six months where, where she was with us here on earth, um, I, had the, I had like the pleasure of staying with her again and, and spending that time with her. And what I'm getting to is like, I, I feel like I have like a lot of like my tias and stuff, like ask me for like so many things, bro. Like, like old dresses and shoes and like, and just like things that I don't necessarily personally believe might be like healthy, you know, like them having like a whole bunch of like my, my dead grandma's like dresses in their, uh, in their closets to like remember her by or whatever. And, um, I think I, I spent a good enough time with her that uh, my grieving process went like pretty smoothly. You know what I mean? Like um, I took like a couple of things. I took her little tiny San Julita. I probably have right here. Let me see if I can pull this bad boy out. Yeah, I think I think this is the only thing I kept from my grandmother, bro. Bro, I burned everything from my father. It's, it's so weird because I, I, I grew up with my grandparents too. This is very oh, really? awkward and weird. Yeah. And my dad passed away when I was 16. And I burned everything. I threw everything in the river. And I said, you know, the fuck with it. Um, my dad was like the biggest inspiration until I turned about 20, 22. Around that area, I found out things about him that weren't so perceived as how I grew up. But, bro, like those things, San Judas, I believe, is Osain in the Santeria world. So what happened in like back in the 1800s, 1600s to the 1800s, we uh, somehow had a synchronicity of the Catholic religion and what the slaves were practicing in that, in that era. And what I mean by the slaves were the Cuban Afro-Americans or the Cuban Afros. And those were the people who brought in that heritage from Cuba to have it translated into... Catholicism. So they would hide their deities like San Judas inside of Osain or Osain so that they can still pray to them so they can either for health or to do damage to a master or to protect themselves from bad. But that's where voodoo became magic and it became so potent because it was out of not fear but prosperity because they were running for their lives. You know, they were being killed, mass murdered or whatever and they would protect themselves with 
whatever was brought from the from um, from Africa or from Yoruba. Um, when they brought it over, there was a, a time and day where one of the masters allowed uh, the uh, the uh, Afro-Cubans to practice their religion. So it was like May Day on that day in which it was a Sunday. They allowed them to practice whatever they wanted to practice so that they can come to church and somehow uh, allow other communes of, of people to come as well. So it was almost like marketing in a way back in the day. And that's where it became a synchronicity. And Osain represents a guided, he, he's missing a leg, and he represents a guided misfortune. And at the end of his death, he became the richest man alive, but not with wealth, but with love and the people that were just always in blessing with him. And it's, it's funny, but like in the Hispanic culture, we always pray to San Martin Caballero or San Judas. And those were something that I grew up as well. And I can relate a lot with you with those, bro, because it, it's seeming to it's there's a lot of similarities between I grew up with my grandparents. My father was never there. And when my dad passed away, it was just like I couldn't cope with it. I threw myself in front of cars. I attempted suicide. And I came to the realization where I needed to let those things go because it wasn't healthy for me. You know, I was hurting myself. I was putting myself in situations that I didn't need to be in, you know, being homeless for a week. Until I moved in with my wife, my current wife now, and it was a blessing. Man, that that's so wild. Something about growing up with your grandparents really switches things up in your brain because um, they become your guardian, and they're from a generation that is not our parents. You know what I mean? So like, you, like the traditions that you take, uh, even like as far as like how you're treated at home, like what you're eating, like your daily rituals, like definitely change. And um, it was such a blessing for me, thankfully, to, to grow up with my grandmother. Um, I, I grew up uh, with a single mom. So um, my mom was living in Mexico at the time, um, having like some immigration issues. So uh, unfortunately, like a lot of my childhood, I spent uh, with my grandma here in Tucson so I can go to school. And uh, my mother was on the Mexico side and would visit like every weekend or like uh, every break uh, that she had. And on my side, if I ever had a break from school, let's say, let's say spring break, rodeo break or whatever, I would uh, head over to Mexico with her. And um, that's, a, that's an ongoing reality for a lot of people still, bro. Thankfully, like um, my mom is, is here with us now uh, on the US side and she has her papers and stuff. Um, but literally, man, like, um, for a lot of families like that, especially immigrant families, um, like that Kendrick song, like praying we make it a 21. And like, uh, that all, that always resonated with me because my, my whole family, bro, couldn't wait until I turned 21 so I can help like my mom get her papers. You have to be uh, 21 to ask for your mom to come and be a citizen here in the U S yeah. and man, it, it really it really hurts to think about the fact that it, I had to wait 21 years to be able to live on the same side, you know, of the country as my as my mom. Um, but I wanted to ask you, bro, like when when you were uh, getting rid of like all all of your dad's things, did it give you some sort of closure? Or is that something that you did like out of pain? I think it was closure, bro. The more that I got rid of stuff, it was like it was a disconnection of because of the, the time that I, I had the last things of him, where which was his watch and like his jewelry and some of the things that he would wear. 
I literally let everything go in the river. So whoever runs into 64 karat shit that's in the river in Tucson, you know, good luck for you, brother. But I let go a lot of things like that because it wasn't an attachment thing. It was more like my morality had grew. And because this person was a rapist, this person was an abuser, a molester, whatever, it was like a relief. Like, like I let that closure go. And then it was not about closing because I still remember it. But it's more like it was a relief in my heart. Like, I'm glad you're dead. You know, like that feeling. And it's it might not be the same to you because you loved your grandma. Yeah, I, I love my grandma a lot. Um, but yeah, I, just thinking about the, the closure that you can have by like getting rid of like I, items, you know, like physical things um, can really do a lot for you, man. And I'm, and I'm telling because you. Because like, it's, it's, it's the perspective. It's the perspective. Because the more you look at something and you're like, damn, remember that time that this happened? Or you're just putting that into your head and you're just like, you're hurting yourself. You're literally just taking a knife and stabbing yourself in the heart. Yeah, bro. And even like when my grandma was sick, bro, she was like bedridden for like a good two months um, before she passed away. I really tried not to like, um, like post pictures of her like in, in like some fucking hospital medical bed and shit, you know, or like her like tubed up or like her like uh, like me posting her online for my family to see like that. Because I, I felt like the more that I did that, like the more that that would be people's recent memory of her and not their last memory of her. And I didn't want to go and like override, you know, their positive memories when my grandma was up and walking around, cooking, making tortillas, typical fucking badass Mexican grandmother shit, you know? Um, and I kind of just wanted people to remember her for that rather than like bedridden 93 year old grandma, you know, that lived probably a thousand lives and some more uh, on top of that. But but yeah, man, that's real interesting. Um, that 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 really brought you closure, and I'm glad it did. Yeah, and it's it's to the persona who, because when you go through your healing, you realize that you don't really need an attachment. And if you have, that's a good gauge to see if that person has been healed. Because if somebody is attached to an item, that means that they value something because of its attachment of emotion or feeling. So if that person isn't healed in here by knowing that an item is not going to fix anything, it's not going to change anything in your life, then at that point, it, it doesn't really matter if it's there or not, because you're you're thinking in your head, you're like, I don't care if it's there or not. It doesn't mean to me anything. I don't give it power. Then at that point, you have a higher self or a higher being that's evolved. And you're to say that I don't need anything in life and you let it go. And and. It's funny that we're talking about this because I was talking to myself last night thinking about it's so rewarding to let things go and especially when they're yours. And I'm not talking about like the whole like when somebody dies. I mean, like if I have a snake and I bring somebody into the business, right? And that person really likes a snake that I just had in a litter. I'm 100% sure I'm going to gift you that because it's out of my heart. Because I feel rewarded in my heart. Not that because it's some type of sense of power that I gave you this and it makes me egoistic. No, it's because I'm letting go of something that I love so much and it makes me feel like I don't have an attachment to the things I love. You know, I love you so much that I'm going to let you go. Man, I I really feel that, bro, because uh, I, I really feel a lot of the same ways. Um, <clears throat> 
as far as like things that I love, you know, and and things that I take care of. And sometimes, especially when I meet someone and I feel like I'm having like a, a special moment with them or like a grand moment. Um, and like we're really connecting, like, let's say a simple example, like someone says we're, we're chopping it up and I meet someone. And then eventually they say, man, oh, man, I like your hat. I like your hat, bro. I'll. I'll take that hat off, bro, and, and I'll try to give it to them. Some sunglasses, I'll try to give it to someone, you know? And I don't know why, but it gives me such a, a sense of fulfillment. And, like, I really not, I, I really try to not um, token things because I, I grew up tokening a lot of things, you know? And um, I, I started to see it kind of be unhealthy. Um, so sometimes I was, like, hesitant to, to do those types of things. But then when I felt like a, an extreme joy and attachment to someone else. And I felt like I could harness that in some sort of like gift to them, you know, and have that good energy go right over to them. It, I don't know. It does something special for me, man. It, it, it definitely uh, helps me. And um, I hope, I hope it helps them. Yeah, definitely. brother. And, and you know, it's like, we're not, we're not doing it out of pleasure or out of anything or ego. It's more like, fulfillment like you said it's it's a sense of fulfillment and even if you see somebody on the street and you're like that person doesn't have shoes then i'm going to take off my shoes and give them my shoes because at the end of the day i will always be blessed twice or triple as more as long as i feel good within myself and it's not to put it on the web and record it and show it off to people or express it in any form it's beautiful when it's silent it is brother and <clears throat> And you know what? I kind of have like a bone to pick with like people who don't like when people like post themselves, you know, sharing with someone or or helping someone. I don't think it's like the best shit, you know. I don't think it's like the coolest thing to do for someone to record themselves like let's say helping the homeless. But I would a million times rather someone record it and still do that than all those people never do that at all. That's true, bro. That is very true. And, you know, if, if you keep to yourself and to say that that blessing is silent, but the moment that other eyes see it, you know, eyes have a sense of perception. And like the saying goes, you know, your voice can resound in a, in a star millions and millions of galaxies away. The same way does your eye. The more you see, the more other people see as well. It's like a, a beautiful connection between energies. And, yeah, I agree, man, to a sense I'm very to myself, so I like to keep things secret. And even when I do things and my wife expresses it to some friend or her family member, I'm like, just just be quiet. Don't say anything because <laughs> I like to keep it to myself. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, I kind of grew up with that mentality, too, because, like, uh, I remember my mom would tell me, like, oh, like, you know, like, something big is coming up for you, you know, like, don't don't share it with the world. You know, like, uh, keep it to yourself until, like, it, it becomes realized so you don't have anybody, you know, putting negative energy towards uh, towards your goals or accomplishments. And um, I, I just don't really feel like that, bro. I don't feel like Because that. Feel if you like want to be heard, if you want to be heard, you have to say it. You have to be like, hey, I'm, I'm the George of the Jungle. Touch my snakes. If you don't do that, if you don't post that on a daily... You're not going to get anywhere. And I see where it can be a fixed mentality at the same time, like you're saying. Yeah, bro. But like even like with like like job interviews or like important moments in my career, I I always like felt like I should share that 
uh, with the people who supported me, you know? And I've never had a fear of someone, like, being uh, envious towards me or, like, uh, you know, like, uh, like wishing, wishing down on me, you know what I mean? Because I feel... I feel like if it's meant for me, then nothing can stop it. Nothing exactly. can stop it. And, and those thoughts are inside of that person's head, not your head. So at that moment, it, it's regardless of what they're thinking, you're still going to succeed. Yeah, bro. And it, and if I don't, bro, that's something valuable to share too. You know, like out of like all the wins that I've had, bro, I've, I've taken so many L's, bro. I've taken a countless amount of L's. And um, I really wish I, I had been better at uh, sharing those experiences with, like, some of the people that supported me. Um, but thankfully, like, all the things that I had been making public um, had turned out really well, thank God. That's good, brother. That, that is truly a blessing. But we kind of uh, dipped into hand, and I'm glad we did because there's a lot of uh, – I don't find things coincidental. There's a lot of alignment between our spirits. So I enjoy that. That means that – I have something to learn from you or vice versa, you know? Bro, what is your morning routine as a DJ? My morning routine, um, I get up, I tell my girl I love her, fucking stand up, do a little stretching, um, and then depending on like the type of day I have, uh, I'll play some music um, while I shower or get ready and brush my teeth. And I feel like I just recently started doing that more often. I feel like I had kind of lost that because a lot of times when I was DJing, um, I get out at 2 a.m. So like after I'm out, of, out, out at 2 a.m., I feel like I have to have some sort of like uh, time to decompress before I go to bed. So I'm up to like, I'm up to like five, I'm up to like six in the morning. And then the next morning, I, I probably have a gig or something to do. So like the time in between me sleeping or like me staying up and me getting up for the next uh, thing I have to do, I didn't have any time for myself. So now I'm making time for myself. Now I'll play a little song for myself. Uh, I'll make some coffee. You know, I, uh, I tell my girl I love her. I send her off to work. And when um, I start my day. That's, that's sick, bro. That's a sick routine. You know, it's, I seem to find some type of a resemblance between, uh, I'm not putting, you know, certain personas at higher end, but when you seem to have a non-relative um, schedule, meaning that it just shifts depending on your day, but you seem to have some types of things that you do repetitively on the daily, you tend to be successful. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's only been 12 people that I interviewed, but off of those people, the people that I highly com commend as you, I see that there's no fixed schedule. Like regardless, I have a, a next schedule, but as long as I make time for me, I'm going to be successful because I have that decompression time or that absorption. You know, I have some time to actually think through what I'm going to do next. Um, yeah, bro. I, I've tried like a lot of different things, you know. Um, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, bro. I'm, I'm like self-employed. So like uh, I have to keep myself motivated. I have to keep myself moving. And, and I've tried different things, bro. I've tried the whole like – 
waking up at 5 a.m. You know, every day. I've tried that. And I've tried like um, just like trying to meditate in the mornings and things like that. But honestly, bro, I, it never really um, it, it, re it really never took me to the places that I wanted I wanted to be spiritually until I literally just started letting my mornings flow, and I started letting uh, letting um, my body and my mind tell me what it is that I needed for that morning. Um, I think the only like real routine thing I do is just listen to music, <laughs> like listen to a song that'll set the tone. But besides that, that's that's really it as far as my mornings go. But I mean, bro, that, that that's like um, part of your job too, or your career. You know, like you said, you're an entrepreneur. But listening to music keeps you on the up. You know, what am I going to produce next? What I'm going to make next? What I'm going to switch with my rhythms or beats? That's inspirational. Yeah, but it's different in that. And when I play my my songs in the morning, bro, it's different because I, it, since it is my job, when I'm downloading music, um, when I'm searching online, when I'm crate digging and stuff, it it uh, it feels like work. You know what I mean? It, it feels like all right, this is something that I have to do, um, so I can continue being a successful DJ. When I play songs in the morning, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about DJing or producing. I'm trying to like play a song that I genuinely enjoy, something that's going to make yeah. me feel good in the morning and not something that I'm trying to take with me to, you know, use it for work later. And then sometimes throughout in experiment, experimenting, you know, you find those uh, type of songs that are with the flow and you throw them in, you know, it's like you do what you love, you know. Why did you choose music, bro? Um, I, I'm not sure, bro. Um, I'm not sure if there was like any specific moment where I said, you know what, this is it. But I remember um, in my younger days, um, in, in high school at least, I remember me and my homies would like, gather around and, and play rock band bro we play rock band or whatever we play guitar hero and then one day just for the shits i like i took the rock band mic which was a usb mic um and i plugged it into my computer and i was like i wonder if this will work and boom sure enough bro the rock band mic worked on my fucking ghetto ass pc that we had just bought from rena center so like me and my homies would just like hang out at my at my grandma's house and we'd uh, we'd put on instrumentals and we'd try to freestyle uh, with this mic and eventually like we started making a couple of songs just like gimmicks <clears throat> and we couldn't like record them on like quicktime or whatever you know uh, so we're like, fuck it, we'll just download whatever software. So we downloaded this, we downloaded Mixcraft at the time. It was like the only free, like, uh, digital audio workspace that we could get. And, uh, after that, oh, we, we didn't know how to use Mixcraft. So we're like, fuck it, we're going to learn how to use Mixcraft. And next thing you know, one thing led to another. And like me and my, me and my friends started making music, bro. And like, we would get out of school. We'd like you know, get a couple, get a couple of like things from the paletero. And then we'd go to my house and literally just make whatever. 
work on whatever, uh, rap on whatever songs that we wanted to. And still with this like little rock band mic. Um, and I think uh, <laughs> once once I was like nearing the end of like my high school career, I, I was really lost in the sense of like my career and, and what I was going to do with my life. Um, I think at the time, like I really wanted to pick something that was uh, was secure and, and good for my family, you know, like uh, my mom and, and my grandma and all my family made like a lot of sacrifices for me to be here and um, me go to school and, and get the education and, and lifestyle that I had. Um, and at the time I was working at McDonald's and by the end of my high school career, I was the breadwinner for my home. Um, so picking something to me that, you know, was gonna guarantee my success was like very important. And I kept thinking to myself, all right, what do I do? Do I do I get do I go and get like a business degree? Do I go and like uh, try and become a doctor? Like what what path should I take? And um, it was a real messy journey for me in my head, bro. And, and I couldn't find anything that made me feel like music made me feel. And that that was the only thing that ever like really stuck around for me that um, was a safe space. And it was something that I always, you know, um, valued because of the time that I spent with my friends doing it, the, the fun that I had doing it, um, being able to express myself, you know, through my music and and, uh, and share uh, how I was feeling. And eventually, bro, it just became like something that I couldn't get rid of, bro something that that i knew was like there to stay with me and um you know i chose the unlikely path i went to to college and, and i studied um you know music production um i i got what i needed you know as far as my classes and education goes i made the connections and um eventually uh i started getting some job offers and stuff and boom bro i just dipped right in um I was uh, I was uh, doing school out in San Diego, and then my grandma actually got really sick, so I came back to visit her, and, and I thought she was going to pass away. And then it's like she had some crazy surgery on her stomach um, that the doctors didn't think she was going to make it through. So uh, I said, fuck it. Like, um, let's do it. I was like my... I was my grandma's power of, of attorney or whatever. And, and she ended up making it through the surgery. She did great. And um, at the time, while I was living in San Diego, I was already done going to school. And my whole time over there, bro, I was just like being shitty. You know, I was partying. I was fucking, you know, trying to get Enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. But in, I, I wish it was uh, in a more positive note uh, where I was just enjoying myself. But really, bro, oh. I was like, I was like kind of like on a dark path, bro. I, I was I felt really lost. I had like a, a job that was just like paying the bills. Um, I didn't have a lot of money. And um, when I got back to Tucson, and I was with my family again. I just kept thinking to myself, like, yo, what the fuck am I doing out there, you know? What am I doing? Like, why why am I out there and doing all the same shit that I would normally do here, but without all the people that I love? And I know, I don't know if that's like a, 
something that comes with like our, our culture to like being attached to our parents or like to the people that we grew up with. But um, every time I had like a really great experience, bro, and like I was looking at something magical or something really cool happened to me, um, sometimes I felt like I didn't have anybody to share those wins with, you know? And, yeah. and um, I love them for myself, but I, I really wish, you know, I was right there with my mom. I wish I was there with my brother, my sister, um, my grandmother. And eventually I just made my way back to Tucson and I, I started working as a caregiver and I worked in healthcare. Um, I worked with, um, I worked with uh, kids that had muscular dystrophy, um, which is basically like a condition where um, certain, uh, certain parts of your body aren't producing protein. So like you can't build muscle mass. So like a lot of the children I was working with were like, uh, like on, on wheelchairs had like very little mobility um, and it was my job to like give them some sort of rehab and like help them with their daily lives and, and make them as independent as possible. And I was doing that, uh, until I got, uh, my studio, I got a little studio, bro, um, downtown at Pennington. I saved my money and, um, and me and like a couple of homies were like, fuck it. It was $250 a month. And I was like, we're like, yeah, we're all going to go and we're going to split it. Yeah, it's going to be great. And um, I remember my homie Mikey, he had some fucked up Bluetooth speaker, like swap meet style, big PA speaker. And <laughs> they had it at one of their family parties. So it had like a big ass crack in it, bro. Like literally a piece of it had broke off from the handle. So you can see like the inner workings of the speaker. And I remember we had just that one speaker, some shitty desk that we bought at Goodwill. And we would stuff like all kinds of like cushions in the speaker so it wouldn't rattle. And that was my studio at the time. And I fucking, I loved it, bro. I loved it more than everything. And nothing made me feel that good. Um, so eventually I, I made my way uh, into the business side of uh, music. And I got my studio up and running and... Um, I started going out and shadowing DJs and learning how to DJ. And uh, my mentor, DJ Apprentice, he was actually the one who motivated me to like uh, to learn and try to like uh, push push my life uh, towards music because that's um, what I enjoyed doing the most. And sure enough, I learned how to DJ, and um, that helped kind of fund my music career in the background, and it allowed me to get rid of my day job. So. Um, once I, I left my day job and started do, doing music full time is when it started feeling very real and like it could be something that could work out for me. Yeah, man. Once you get that snowball going with work and getting funds or gigs or whatever it is, it, it starts to get realer by the second and you're like, hold on, let me, let me navigate it real quick. <laughs> yeah, bro. And, and a lot of so times. You said Go ahead, bro. I said a lot of times like when um, I would move up in my career, it almost felt like uh, that it was over my head, bro. Like that it was something that I might not be ready for, you know? And every time- like, We're never ready. Some, yeah, that's exactly the feeling that I would get, bro. And, and thank God I would just take the risks, bro. Cause damn, who knows where I would be right now. I, I certainly felt that before and then 
I work for Watson Chevrolet. You might be familiar with him, uh, El Sergio or Sergio Sergio Jimenez. He was my manager there at Watson, and he would put me always on the the stage line or doing promotions for Watson. And I remember feeling these butterflies in my stomach, and I'm like, "No, I'm gonna puke or like something's going on, gonna go on." And there was this gig at at um, the Rialto. We were supposed to do a commercial, and my mic was turned off, and I was yelling into the to the audience. And then, like, the DJ behind me is like, hey, it's not your turn yet. Like, let the other guy go first. But I was like, I was messing up on my words. <laughs> it was a fun <laughs> gig, bro. But <laughs> it was a fun gig, bro. But I learned a lot from that, from messing up. You know, if I wouldn't have messed up, I wouldn't have learned. Yeah, man. A lot of a lot of those experiences come out too fast, bro. And it's literally like the universe putting you in a position where um, you can really take things to the next level if you want. I feel like people are presented with, you know, those opportunities and um, they're the ones who decide to act on it or not. And um, if you do act on it, then good for you. And if you don't, then good for you too. I mean, you know, everybody's entitled to, to give their own life direction and what they're ready for or whatever they're not ready for. Everybody has their own path at a certain time. You know, everybody has a catalyst that changes everything, but it, it's at that right moment. Yeah, I had a lot of problems too with like um, my, my life timeline you know going into this business too like i would see like my homies graduating from college you know like getting their families you know having kids um buying their houses and things like that and meanwhile i was like in my studio buying microphones fucking spending my money on speakers uh, you know like all of those things and like i would really compare myself a lot to those people and say man am, am i like uh am i not doing the right thing for myself am i not like taking the correct path in life um am, am i not successful because i don't have these things and and i remember um i remember one of my friends telling me like hey like uh, get get rid of the timeline like stop stop comparing yourself to others and stop like um guiding your life through the time that you think you have uh, left in your life and start doing it uh, in the moment. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck waiting for something that's, you know, not even present to you yet. And how do you get out of the moment? By thinking that you're going to die. Eventually, that day's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing for certain, my man. It's the only thing for certain. And once you release that and you're like, shit, I'm going to die. It's I don't know when, but I'm going to die. You're like living every moment to the fullest. One of the most beautiful things is that we're, we're all just dying very, very slowly together is what's happening right now. Ooh, that gave me the chills. That is true. <laughs> Bro, what is that point in your GJ journey? We might have already gone over this. That marked a change where you're like, oh, shit. This was the gig that got me to this moment or... This was the moment that Walter the Don or Alexis became Walter the Don. Um, um, I think when um, I think when I finally like was able to to land my first gig, um. I was just like shadow DJing uh, for a lot of my homies and stuff, like watching them play, going to their gigs. 
And uh, at the end of the night, like, let's say the last 15 minutes and everybody was, like, hammered or whatever, they'd be like, all right, play a song, play a song. And then I'd play a couple songs. And um, eventually, one of the DJs had got so fucked up the night before that they couldn't make it to their morning Sunday gig. And they called me and they're like, hey, can you come play just for a little bit? And I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready, you know? <laughs> and, and fuck it, dude, I did it. And I started playing at Highwire on Sundays, bro. And I would play on the on the little inside room. This is before Highwire was like a huge club. It was just like a little alley bar. Fucking great cocktails. It was like me and a couple bartenders there most of the time. And um nobody would go, bro. Nobody would go. At the most, we'd have like five, six people there uh at a time and slowly but surely bro like through my sunday gigs like i started seeing a lot of my friends show up and they would come and support and um they'd come and have a couple drinks with me and hang out and take pictures uh for me um and the next week uh a little bit more of my friends would show up and then the next week a little bit more of my friends would show up and I remember at some point, bro, I was DJing at Highwire, and I had, like, I remember this day, I, there, there was, like, the garage door behind me was open, so, like, you could feel, like, the wind through, like, the alley. And there was, like, um, I had, like, a, I had, like, a gang of, like, a, like, uh, fuck, I don't know a nicer word to say it, but there was, like, some fucking crackheads in the alley going off, bro. They were fucking having the time of their lives. And I turn around and I look at them, and then I turn around and I look inside, and all the people inside were having a great time. And then I start looking closer, and I fuck, and I knew almost everybody in the room, bro. I knew almost everybody that was there personally, and they had all you know, came to see me and came to hang out with me and come to the space that I was working at. And I was making money and I was playing music. And I was like, damn, this is this is everything I could have ever asked for. How how blessed am I to have like all my friends in this one place, like enjoying our time together while I'm able to make a living? I don't know. To me, bro, that, that was like a real eye-opening moment to believing in myself and knowing that like people uh were willing to support me and and uh a real moment of truth for myself that i could be successful in in the entertainment realm you know it's like a, it's it's a scary world in entertainment we're nothing without our supporters brother and the supporters include all the haters too <laughs> they're watching as long as you got people supporting you you know you're gone somewhere and if you don't got haters like it's saying man then you're not making it yeah dude and like even like um i don't know even like people sometimes say like oh you should always do things for yourself you know like you should always like you know motivate yourself you should always you know work towards something that you want you should always prove it to yourself sometimes like i can't i can't help but disagree bro because i I've gotten so much support over the years, bro. And I've got so much people that, you know, have blessed me with gigs and and um, with them coming or sharing my flyer, even like anything like that. 
that I feel like I, I owe it to them almost too. You know, I, I want to be successful. So all these people right here that have been supporting me all this time can say, fuck yeah, you know what? Wal Walters is actually doing something out here. I'm glad I helped him out. I'm glad I shared his fire. Cause look at him now, look at him go. And like, I feel like I owe that to a lot of my fans, bro. And, and to myself and to my family um, as well. But, but damn, bro, like the people who support me mean so much to me and they really helped elevate my career and my lifestyle. And fuck man, I, I can't help but feel like I owe it to them too, you know, to be we successful do. and to try my best. We do, bro, because without, like I said, without them, in my end, I sell reptiles or I do displays. If they wouldn't purchase from me, if they wouldn't come and want to take photo shoots, if they want to do an educational showings, I wouldn't be here. It's like your own clientele. If you're a max business who's running a corporation, without those clients or those customers, the business wouldn't be rolling. And with we do owe it to them, honestly, bro. And that's, like I said, that good feeling of giving back always feels like it's it's meant for something because i have to close the circle somehow damn fucking well put bro um with walt with the name walters the don bro giving back to me is like one of like my ultimate goals like i i want to be able to i want people to be able to think of me and say hey you know this guy's a fucking a great guy you know what he did this for me he um he played my song out, you know, like no, nobody else knew this song, but I, I knew this song and he played it for me anyways. And just like fucking little moments like that, man. I, I really, I really value everybody that fucking supports me, man. It, it really, it touches me, bro. Every time, even, even like I said, like on some social media shit, which is like, you know, not the grandest thing in the world, you know, like them clicking two buttons to share a flyer can do so much. Again, you know, because those two people can bring 10 people literally bro it, it, as far as scaling goes uh, from a business you know standpoint as well like they're sharing something with the people that they care about or that they enjoy talking to or following online and then those people get to see um get to see you and what you have to offer and it it, it really goes undermined sometimes still uh, how how helpful it could be for for people like us when people um, support and share our things online and, and and you know show their friends off. It it is a moment of growth and, and like with that feeling that you said you get a good feeling when people request that song and they remember you and they share you. I feel you, bro, because that moment when I feel that that person touching that animal for the first time, and they're like, I've never held this animal in my entire life. But now I have the opportunity to hold it. Thank you for that experience. Or thank you because I overcame my fear of it. That is beautiful as fuck. Because I'm like seeing that that change of them being in a state of fear. And that out of nowhere they want to purchase a snake. And they're asking me about the enclosure and how to keep it and do this and this and that. Like that's a blessing. Bro, from, from like a personal experience, I remember like the first time you came in with some snakes. Bro, I was I – was, I was fucking terrified, bro. I was had never <laughs> held a snake like that ever before in my life. And um you get this adrenaline rush when you're first handed the snake and you're so oh, you're such an excellent handler, bro. Like oh, I appreciate you, bro. You, you I remember you putting the snake in my hands and then like you let me feel it for a second and then you put it like around my neck 
and boom, bro, all that anxiety that I had just kind of like went away. And like, I think I still had like a nervous feeling like, oh shit, what if this fucking snake <laughs> chokes me out? What if it bites me in the neck? No, and uh, it, keep, it keeps the adrenaline rushing. But eventually you, you like learn to trust it. You learn to trust the animal. And um, then you got to just worry about like trusting yourself and not like, uh, you know, doing anything sporadic or, or freaking out and, and accidentally hurting the animal or something like that. But man, I swear that that first adrenaline rush when you're when you're holding an exotic animal like that is crazy. There's a quote by Tom Crutchfield, bro, since you're mentioning that. And he says, the moment that the keeper loses the fear of the animal, the animal can then be allowed to trust the keeper. But if the keeper never loses that fear, the animal will never trust you. So until we allow ourselves to trust. <laughs> fucking bars, bro. You fucking spitting right now. <laughs> it is insane, brother. The things that animals teach you. The way I feel like I've evolved by having, you know, something to actually look after and feel that experience of joy of seeing them flourish and grow. It's like it's rewarding in itself just to see that. Do you did you have did you do you have yeah, you have children, right? Yeah, I have two little girls. Did you have did you were you taking care of animals before you were taking care of your girls? No, so I didn't have anything or kept anything until I actually moved out. Um, we were living with my parents at a time. Uh, my wife was pregnant. I, we were going through our high school diploma, changing all that, and getting our construction NCCR cards. We were going to a program called Youth Build. And it's uh, something that I want to incorporate later on with the snakes. But with that, we got our opportunity. And then once we kind of established our own home, my first snake was a milk Honduran milk snake, and it's a a what they call the dimorphic. Uh, I'm not quoting the the scientific name of it right, but the dimorphism of of the animal, the coloration, is an imitation of the coralillo snake, which is a venomous snake. Venomous snake, yeah. Now the snake, the Honduran milk snake, imitates that snake so that it warns predators, "Hey, I'm toxic or I'm venomous." So that snake was almost like the same thing as a Coralillo snake, and that was my first snake. His name was Kundalini. And from there on out, it just became something greater. I started almost like hoarding these animals, but to the point where I was rehabilitating these animals by purchasing them from people who didn't have space for them anymore or going on Craigslist and seeing who was giving up an animal. I would bring them in and then rehabilitate them and sell them again to a place that had a good home. And then I got a little bit into what's called morphology, uh, the study of morphs, cross or mixture of genetics, meaning that you can take one certain species of a female genetic, if it's allelic, uh, you can mix that into a male and create offspring that have the same pigmentation or coloration of the parents. So I got deep, deep into that. And I bought my first boa constrictor, sunglowastic. It was, it was like seven seven genes on top of that snake so it took about seven years to ten years to produce that snake that i had and i still have her i'll actually bring her out here for you she's part of my private collection but if you look at the patterning it's way unique 
than any of the other snakes that you've seen at the clubs. That's the Aztec wow. pattern. And it's called the Sunglow. It's got orange eyes. I don't think you can catch them on the camera there. In seven years, huh? It took anywhere between seven to ten years for the breeders to produce the snake. Um, so what they do is they take, let, let's say, the Aztec genetic and they breed it to the female, whoever is carrying it, or the male. And then they breed it back to the, the, the mom or the dad. And then once they take that gene, they breed it back to somebody else might have a, the same genetic and they choose to work with another gene or another bloodline so that the bloodline will stay strong. Um, and then you produce snakes like this. What what do you think about all that? Like, as far as like, is that genealogy? I'm I'm not too familiar. It is the study of genealogy. Now, there's certain things that are called heterozygous and allelic and uh, dominant or co-dominant, meaning that the genes can be dominant on the female's end because of the genetic or the genetic name that she has. For example, like let's say clown in the ball python. There's a genetic called clown. You breed a clown to clown, and you'll get certain genetics off of that. Um, that white snake that you've seen, uh, that ivory, I'll show you here shortly. Uh, but she is a granite to granite, which they call a super ivory, and it turns pure white. And the snake, the mother, is pure speckling. And I'll show you the speckling here shortly. But it's still black and, and grayish. But they figured out that if they bred a granite to a granite, they would get hypogranites and ivories and super ivories, and they bred white snakes. And back in the day when they first figured that out, the snakes could have been sold for 150K, 200K because of that genetic gene. And throughout the years, they lose value. The larger the snake, the more it costs. There's a lot of um, exchange in uh, cells throughout uh, reptiles themselves. Interesting. Interesting. I personally don't like breeding something I don't like. Meaning, like, if I have a normal, just because I have a normal, I'm not going to breed it because I can. I'm going to think about it and say, okay, do I really like these snakes? Am I going to take care of the babies? Am I going to uh, succeed with that pairing? Um, there are certain genetics, like, uh, per se, uh, the uh, spider gene. They're, they're figuring out things now, but before, they, they had, like, a wobble in their head. And that wobble was a deficiency or a neurological um, issue that they had. It's a neuro problem. And if you breed those snakes spider to spider, you can potentially have just abnormal snakes. So what's the point in breeding that, you know? So it, it comes with ethical things and actually knowing your genetics and working things that is, is worth breeding, you know? Yeah, I feel like with, with the genealogy, there's like a lot of um, thought you have to put into the ethics side. You know what I mean? Because there's some people who... For example, with with humans, or like, or like people who um, people who are uh, you know picking and choosing certain traits from themselves to create perfect babies. I don't know if you've heard about that, but they call them designer babies. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts, and I, and I'm not sure if like I agree with it all the way, but I kind of love the thought of like. Um, like, for example, like when I used to work with um, with kids with muscular dystrophy, this is like a, a genetic mutation that they have. So um, I can say personally that 
I think for certain people like that or like bloodlines where that, you know, that that gene exists, um, it might be real valuable for those families and for those parents to say, hey, you know what, let's let's leave this gene out. Um, yep. And um, not not to undermine, you know, like uh, people who are handicapped or, um, you know, who are who are born handicapped and and how special they are and and how perfect they are in their own ways, you know, but but still, bro, like um, being able to give somebody longevity in their life um, to give them a peace of mind, you know, to give them health and being able to choose that uh, for your offspring. If you do want to have your family, you know, I, I don't think that's a, a such a bad path to take for those people. Yeah. It, it, it has its ethical meaning. Like, for example, with snakes, um, people do what's called hybridization, where they take a certain species to make it dramatically huge or make it seem some type of way abnormal. And I understand that if you want to breed it because of the coloration, that might be something to take into consideration because you can get certain snakes and make them look blue because you're taking you know certain genes. But when it's not reasonable and you're doing it because of the gene or you want to sell so many snakes, then don't do it. You know, don't just do it for the money. I think. Um, can you share a little bit about like, um, about like your business and, and, and what it's been like for you as far as becoming, um, you know, an exotic animal handler and like, uh, doing presentations and educational uh, courses for people onto like, uh, like the sales of, of exotic animals. Absolutely. Give me one second. Let me put Moonlight back here and I'll be right back. So sales, um, sadly to say, there's a traumatic expression of, of um, money. When it comes to, to selling reptiles, There's it is lucrative. Um, I don't. I don't like to say it's lucrative, but fortunately, you know, it is. Um, you can have anywhere between fifteen to sixty eggs, depending on the species that you're working with. Oh and my the animal goodness! Can sell anywhere between four hundred and up to one hundred and fifty thousand, depending on the species or what genetic you're working with. So, the opportunity to make the money is there, but you have to put in the work. It takes years to raise an animal to make it raise it to maturity, and I like to, to teach you know people and, and actually come into this niche and, and work with these animals to see if they are made for it because there's a lot of trouble things or a lot of things people stumble upon when they first join the game. You know, how to actually keep the animal alive, husbandry, um, how to focus on certain species that you love because when you come into the reptile world, you see the snake and then you're like, let's go to the reptile show. Let's see what they have or what snakes I could get. And then you see a lizard and you want to take that lizard home. And I don't know where you have 30 plus animals that you originally just started with the ball python. And I don't know where you have an Asian water monitor. So it can quickly become excessive for people who don't have that tolerance or that way of gauging themselves and saying, okay, I'm going to stick to the plan and I'm going to do this for four years. Uh, ball pythons have the opportunity of breeding, you know, when they meet maturity or certain weights. So it's quicker for people to breed them because 
they're power feeding the animal or they're doing a certain structure or, or some way. I stay away from ball pythons for that reason because I don't like easy things in life. I like to be challenged. I work with rhino iguanas. I've been raising them for four years now. They haven't bred for me. I have Argentine tegus, uh, Burmese pythons, uh, reticulated pythons, boa constrictors, Argus monitors. I work with these species because I love them. Find the passion or the niche you like. You could like frogs, and you can make a fortune in frogs because frogs produce a lot. But you got to think smart. You know, think on your feet and know where you're going to put your money. Know what you're going to do. Have a plan. Have a structure. Because I messed up. I messed up a lot. In the beginning, I was just selling and selling and selling. I was putting it back into my animals. But at the same time, I was doing it for the wrong reason. I was selling a certain species that I didn't like, but I knew would make me a lucrative amount of money. So I started downgrading and I took down some of my animals and I sold them off or I shipped them around the, the states. Um, we do work with uh, various shipping companies like uh, Ship Your Reptiles, uh, Red Light Shipping. Um, we also work with uh, FedEx directly. So if you need any problem, you have any problems with the shipment, we contact them, make sure where the package is at. Everything is secure. Uh, we usually ship what we have to ship within 24 hours express meaning that that animal will arrive at 10.30 in the morning the following day. Um, it is all secure. It's under Lacey Act, uh, meaning that we have the ability to export and transport exotic animals in the United States. Um, we have to keep up with certain laws in effect, meaning if I meet somebody in New Mexico or New York and they want to buy a caiman from me, I'm sorry, but I can't ship it out because it is an illegal species in your state. But if you tell me you live in California, then maybe we can work something out. Or if I know some other breeder in the States that might be able to ship to your state because they have the ability or it's legal, then we work that out. Um, there's a lot of things that play out when you know somebody comes up to me and says, I want to buy an animal or what do I need to do? I usually write out an email um, having anywhere between five to seven formularies per the species so you can study up and know exactly what you have to give it humidity-wise, temperatures, um, if you need a thermostat, what are the things you're going to need? And once you study that and you show me that you're ready for that species by telling me, you know, I'm ready or I want to buy this species, then at that time, I ask you to purchase an enclosure or I can sell you one through whatever. Um, we work with a company here. Well, I don't work with him directly. He has his own business. His name is Ever Evolving Exotics uh, in Tucson. So everybody usually goes and buys their enclosure there. They snap a picture or show me the receipt from Lee's. And then we can sell you the animal. I do take payment plans from 300 and above uh, to 1,000. We can do up to two months. And from 1,000 to 7,000, we can do up to three months. And that would be with the 25% deposit. Um, all of these animals come from the US, UK, Canada. Um, some exportation was actually canceled with uh, Mexico, but they were on the lines of working with Morph Market um, so they can you know, transport from Mexico to the U.S. I'm not sure exactly how the legality thing is, but I do ship out to Mexico. There's a lot of keepers out there as well. Yeah, man, that's pretty much the gist. But if you like morphology, um, that's something that I love. I like working with the genes and codominant genes and certain genetics. Um, if you like certain species just to keep it yourself as a pet, by all means, I can find the right pet for you. Yeah. Man. I, I love how in touch you are with that world and how much you know about it. It's so, Appreciate you. I don't know, it's so nice looking hearing you talk about all that shit because I have no idea, you know? And, 
and I I have a couple of friends who have have uh, bought some snakes from you, and yeah, damn, fucking beautiful, bro, so beautiful. Yeah, man, um, Gus, uh, the other DJ, uh, Gustavo, he bought a ball python from us. I think right after Zima, and um, who else? Some of your friends, Debbie, um, Cece, they hired us for the educational sh uh, showings. The educational portion. I honestly just stumbled upon it because I like educating kids. You know, I, I don't have patience at all. I see myself as a very impatient person, but I like to have that conversation with the child because they're more in tune. They actually pay attention to the details instead of just saying, oh, look, it's a lizard. That's very nice. No, they're looking at the feet. They're touching the nails. They're asking me questions about it like this, this, and that. Because they have a more in tune sense, you know, they haven't gone through that filter process. They haven't lost themselves yet. So it's like, it's beautiful to teach children in that way. And as well, when we graduated from Youth Build, um, it was a program. My wife was pregnant at the time with our first child. Um, and we were going for one week to build houses for Chicanos por la Causa or for any low income families. Uh, we work with directly with Peptech, Dr. Arnold. Um, we got our NCCR card with him. And then the following week, we would work for our high school diploma. So we got our high school diploma and we graduated through that product line. Now, what I want to do or what we want to do as as the, the whole uh, wildlife sanctuary is bring some type of sensor or some type of foundation that would bring children that are low income, from the ages of 16 to 25 are about to finish high school or bit behind because that's where we were at and somehow incorporate the animals into that that same product instead of them building homes for you know low-income families they can raise eggs learn the the process of breeding animals and actually have a chance to to finish their high school diploma a lot of people just think of the GED, but we had the opportunity to get our high school diploma to through uh, Penn Foster Academy. So things like that, we would like to bring into the community as well. Wow. You said um, your wife uh, was pregnant when she was how old? She was 17. She tur turned 18 when she was pregnant. Yeah. Man, what, what was it like? Um you know, like young love like that and, and having a family so young. Cause like right now I feel like I'm barely like getting to the point where I'm, I'm thinking about having a family and, and, and wanting a family. And I don't think I've ever had that feeling before. You have to grow up really quick. You know, it was a point where I have to figure out now what I wanted to do. I went through a lot of hurdles. I had a lot of struggles. Um, I was booked into jail in the process of my second child, actually, on her second birthday. I missed it. I was released a week after her second birthday. Um, I was mass trafficking marijuana from Las Vegas to Arizona. And all of those things happened after I graduated. And we finished our program in 2015-16. When my daughters came into play, it was very hard for me to wrap myself around that and actually figure out what I wanted to do or what I needed to do. I attempted to go into the military. I was in processing for three years because I was overweight. I was a guy of 287 pounds. I lost that weight within three months. I went to MEPS and the military examination processing center in Phoenix. Um, I refused the job or the opportunity at the time where I was going to sign. 
I was uh, racially profiled by a guy who was re-signing on to the military for the Air Force, I believe. Um, he told the, the MPs that I was smoking marijuana in the, <laughs> in, the, in the hotel room as I was going to process in the military. I took a lavender-scented bath, or Epsom salt bath, because I was trying to lose water weight. But this guy said that I was smoking pot. The next day, they dropped us all. I came out clear, and the guy was sitting inside of an office with the MPs chained up that they were taking him into, into interrogation to see if it was a racial profile case because if he, he had already signed when that had happened. So it was like bad for him for his processing as well. But the moment that I talked to the staff sergeant, I told them I would really like to join the military, but at this point, I'm very disappointed of the way that you, you guys run your shit show. You know, it's like, it's all just bullshit. And I left that ground and I said I was going to find a job. And I told the master sergeant that he will hear me on the radio or on, on TV. But he wasn't going to have me as a, as a soldier. <laughs> Man, that's, that's something, bro. <laughs> that's something so you were there and you were literally about to sign and all this shit's going down right in front of you yep <laughs> yeah man you're the man bro i i can yeah, admire people who can make decisions from for themselves like that especially when you know there's there's financial gain you know from from doing something like that you know from joining the military which i feel like is is a lot of people's big pluses when joining the military um yeah. and unfortunately for like a lot of low-income people um or people who are wanting to you know get their life straight right away um it's such an easy out well i wouldn't i don't want to say easy because you know like you know you do have to work very hard for it like you said like you even had to lose how much how much weight did you lose 71 pounds in the mass of three months bro i i'm on a weight loss journey right now i'm um, i could tell bro you look thinner thank you thank you bro i've been <laughs> working on it man i've been working on it a lot um i i hit 263 last year and like i that's like the biggest i've ever been in my life and i remember like the pants that i my go-to pants the same jeans that i would wear all the time that i knew fit fit me decent were starting to not fit me anymore <laughs> like, no, what the fuck is going on? And at, in that same day, my girlfriend invited me to go swimming, and I didn't want to go, bro, because I felt so self-conscious about my body. And I was like, man, this has got to change. I was fucking snoring all loud at night and like <laughs> roll up all these things, bro. And I was feeling unhealthy. My energy was low, and I was like, man, this is it. This is it for me. I'm I'm tired of being unhealthy. I I've been unhealthy my whole life. Um, I need to make this change for myself. And surely, like I started, um, like cutting back on like uh, my meal portions, um, and and you know eating salads here and there, nothing too strict. And um, I was taking a lot of L still, bro. Like I would do decent one day, and then as soon as the weekend hit. Boom, bro. I was fucking at Filiberto's at fucking <laughs> after my DJ gig, you know? I'm fucking on my bed 10 minutes later eating some super fries, watching TV. And I started noticing 
that a lot of that was coming from like uh, the drinking, bro. And like, uh, I was like, man, every time I, I, I drink, it makes me hungry. And then I'm up after I'm done working and I want to eat and I want to eat and I want to eat. And if it's to sober up or to get rid of a hangover, you're not eating anything healthy. You know what I mean? You're fucking yourself up. You're, you're, you're eating like a savage. And yeah, bro, I, I had to cut the alcohol out for a little bit. Um, and as soon as I cut the alcohol out, Boom, bro. I started shredding weight. So much weight. And like um, I went from 263 and I'm like uh two like two seventeen right now. Damn, bro. Yeah, you look thinner in that profile picture you put up. Yeah, man. I, I'm I'm working on it, bro. I wanna be I wanna fucking uh, feel healthy. I wanna fucking take my shirt off. I wanna like, you know, you know, look good for my girl. I wanna look good when I perform. I wanna be able to take pictures and feel confident in posting them. You know, it, it all it all aligns with my job too. You know, like I have I have to post a lot on social media. I have to take lots of pictures. So like, if I'm not comfortable in my own skin while trying to do that, then it makes my job a lot harder, and my yep. career is progressing a lot slower. So um, in that sense, it really helped too because I I'm very business minded. So, like, on that end, it, it even helped me motivate myself to lose weight. But, damn, thank God I did. I'm I'm really uh, proud of myself right now. And, and I feel like uh, and I feel like the discipline that I've had with my diet and, and the not drinking has has really uh, elevated my confidence and um, made me feel good about myself, bro. A, a lot of it had to do with the discipline, to be honest. Yeah, bro. I honestly don't like drinking. <laughs> I don't like drinking. That day you offered us that shot, that's all I had. And I hadn't touched a drink maybe in about six months. <laughs> Jesus. I can yeah, smoke I'm pot all you want, brother, but I can't. I can't drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. And you know what? Like, I'm not like trying to like quit drinking completely or anything like that. I just saw that it was like getting in the way of my goals a little bit. So I was like, all right, we're, we're going to cut this out for, for a while and, and see how I feel. And um, it's tough, bro, in the DJ world, especially with the drinking, bro, because obviously people try to buy you drinks, try to have a shot with you, and they just paid fucking $15 for some expensive Patron shot that I don't want to take. And, like, you feel guilty sometimes, but I, I, I just don't do it. I just tell them. The like, people hey, make you an alcoholic. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want to blame it. Maybe I should blame it on other people. Fuck it. Fuck it. They can take that one for the team, huh? They can take That's that for one sure. for the team. It's not bad. They're doing it at a heart. Dude, and I'm a terror. Like, I like smoking. I like smoking weed. But I get so high, bro. I get so high so easy. And I'm fucking blitz, bro. Like I'm, I'm fucking. I can't think straight. I can't talk straight for like 20, 30 minutes before I actually start feeling good. You should hit up Chris, bro, because when it comes to weed strains, he knows a lot. Like when it comes to hybrids, there's some some that he pointed my direction, and now it's like a go-to because it's like it gives me like a temporal high. I feel blissful. But I'm not all stupid high and sitting in the couch, you know. I'm just chill. On, on that tonto shit when you're fucking <laughs> gone off of fucking some savage train. Yeah, bro. Big shout out to Chris, honestly. I, I love Chris Carr so much, man. And, and he really... um Beautiful he really soul. 
yeah, man, he's been so great, great to me throughout my career. And fuck, he really does know a lot about weed. Have you seen his videos? His 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 puff videos. Yeah, Dude, bro. He sounds so good on the mic. I love listening to him on the mic, man. I'm big ups to Chris, man. I miss you, brother. He's the one who kind of pointed me into like podcasting, brother, because like. I saw uh, my first podcast was with Chris, and then after that, I went on with uh, G, uh, GP Snakes Gerson, and then I said, "You know what? I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to see where it goes. I have people that that from different areas in life that might want to share their story." Um, this all started from vlogging. I was vlogging back in the day and taking videos in California, coming back with my animals and stuff like that. Um, we met up one day with Chris and Dominic Valdenegro. And we were just going over our YouTubes, and if it wasn't for that that coffee date that we had, we wouldn't have mentioned anything about Safari Night. You know, it was it was that moment that pushed us to that catalyst just for a coffee drink, you know? <laughs> so it's like starting from ground zero that develops develop something larger. And Chris, bro, you need to get back to podcasting. Like, you sound hella good on, on the radio, bro. <laughs> yeah, his voice. His voice is like... Uh, it's meant it's, for it. Yeah, it's good for it, man. It's good. It's so clear and crisp and different. I I love it. I love it. I'm a fan, Chris. I'm a fan. Big time, bro. Bro, we kind of delved into like the business side of things and like your your aspirations in music, uh, why you chose music, your previous career, your foundation. As a child, what do you remember? And you're like, I want to be this when I grow up. Like, I want to be the president or I want to be an astronaut. Do you remember anything of that? Um. Yeah, I had a couple, bro. I I grew up on. My early life, I grew up on a ranch um, with my godfather, and uh, we were raising cattle, and uh, we were planting alfalfa, and um, this was, like, the only solid father figure I ever had in my life, um, and I wanted to be just like him, bro. I wanted to be on a fucking ranch, riding horses and fucking, you know breeding cattle and like taking care of them and transporting them and i love that whole peacefulness of the outdoors and um even till now dude there's like something so peaceful about manual labor like the aftermath of manual labor really does something for me i don't know what it triggers in my body or in my brain but I feel such like a sense of relief and, and I feel so complete after I do it. Um, but yeah, I wanted to be just like him, man. I wanted to have a ranch and I wanted to have some animals and I wanted to sell cows and pack alfalfa and ship it off to different places. And then as I got like a, a little bit later down the road, like in my 10s, 11s, 12s, I really wanted to be a doctor. And I was like, you know, I want to help people. I want to, I want to make sure people are healthy. Um, and I, and I had stuck to that for a while. Um, but I'm not sure if that's like something that I was just choosing because of the security, you know? And, um, and I don't know, I remember being little and Googling like best paying jobs best paying jobs in the US. And like, I remember the first one that came up was like anesthesiologist. And I said, yeah, that's the one I want to be. So like, I don't know if that stemmed from like, uh, 
like curiosity. A, yeah, or like just like where I was financially and, and me like self-consciously choosing something that necessarily that I wasn't interested in, but something that I knew was going to be secure for my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brother. I think that that stems a lot into like our industry where a lot of people get into it for the wrong reasons. You know, whether it's the music industry, the modeling industry, photography industry, the reptile industry, everybody thinks that it's like a rush of a roll and you're going to have bills the next day. No, it's like it takes so much grind, so much blood and sweat and tears. And you have those days where you're like, shit, I didn't make a dime. I didn't make anything. Like, and I put in so much work. But those are the days that make you feel better. And you're like, damn, if I don't give up the next time, it's going to be better. Yeah, man. I don't. All through the early stages of my career, bro, it was so scary, bro. I was getting paid like $50, like a bar tab. I would make like commission off of like the bar sales or whatever. Whatever I could get my hands on, you know, was good enough for me. And I really had to like tough it out for a long time. I, I had to either borrow equipment from my friends until I, I had enough for my own. And then once I did have enough for my own like it was still hard because it's still something you have to maintain take care of and fuck man like it's a very slow process and um it's very uh an insecure feeling knowing that like you're not making money off of your craft that you spent so much money on already but i mean as long as you hustle and this is the thing that i like to say as well a lot of the artists out there, a lot of the people get into the reptile industry. They leave their job right away. Don't fucking do that shit. Bro, that facts, shit. facts, dude. I, <laughs> because I, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. We've gone through that shit, and we're telling you for a good reason. <laughs> Don't fucking quit your job. <laughs> yeah, dude, I used to, I used to, I'm, I'm originally an engineer, producer. So, like, I was recording people. I was making beats prior to DJing. And I would have rappers come in all the time and like, you know, like uh, we'll make some tracks together. And after a couple of tracks, I remember like a lot of a lot of these uh, people in the industry with me were like, yeah, I want to do this full time. I'm going to quit my job and just I'm going to rap. I'm going to rap until I make it. And I'm like, bro, no, please, <laughs> please don't quit your job. That's the worst idea you can have um, find from a financial point of view. And uh, in the music industry, unless you have some undeniable, incredible product that you put out to the world that magically fucking spread like wildfire, wildfire and is reaching everyone, you have to invest in your craft. You have to invest in the marketing. You have to invest in your studio time. You have to invest in yourself and keeping yourself healthy and keeping, you know, like being on top of your bills. Because next thing you know, like you don't have any money, right? You don't have any money. And so like people who are low income and that don't have any money and they need some money. Most of the times they turn to something that that's like illegal, you know? And then next thing you know, you're putting yourself at, at risk. You're putting yourself in jeopardy of being like put into jail or like um, putting your family's lives at risk because then you don't have uh, money for them and, you know, uh, money for your a home, money for your food. So like it, it all comes around full circle. 
And sometimes having that financial backing is easily one of the most comfortable things you can do as an artist. You yes, know, yourself, but to keep yourself afloat and to keep your head in the right space. Definitely, bro. Yeah, and, and honestly, when you stop doing things, and by I mean this by a creative, because I'm a, I'm a creative before I'm anything else. I love visual arts. As a kid, uh, I've always been drawing in my notebooks. I always have some type of new painting coming in, and it's like... If you don't have the, the money to supply your your thing or your your artistic form, how is it that you're gonna create? You know, it's like you're you're trying to fund something that is impossible. You know, and unless you have some type of a way of, of navigating your life where you have some type of sell every day, then by all means do it. But don't just go out on a float. You know, we're doing it out of experience because I'm pretty sure you've done it in the past where you're like, Oh, I'm good right now, I'm gonna let it go, but I'll be right back. I've done that. Yeah, and just like um, like I, I worked in radio for a lot of years, and I was producing shows. So I was talking to broadcasters. I was talking to people who were on air, um, and I was a content creator for them, and, and I was coaching them to to be on air, to be online. And um, one of the most successful, one of the most successful. Um, how do I put this um, categories that would go on air or like something that people were interested in listening to was always something personal, something that was real from that person, something that they were going through, uh, something that they experienced. And a lot of times um, when you have a job and you're a musician or I, right now I'm thinking about rappers or like uh, songwriters, Sometimes that work that you're putting in is giving you another aspect in your life to talk about or, or express yourself about. So like in that aspect, like you really are creating more content by your, for yourself by staying in those fields and working through it and grinding to it until you do get to the space where you can, uh, you know, uh, let go of, the, of, of that work and really hone your craft full time. There is such thing as value currency. What that means is that if, if you don't have enough value built up to give these anecdotes or stories to people, because stories tell a, tell a, a type of lesson. Everybody is looking how to better themselves. If you are a healing human or if you're a person of value, that is what you're trying to do, to heal yourself or to actually learn something from somebody who's in front of you. And if somebody has the opportunity to provide that story that enlightens you in some way and now you change your life, how isn't that something that anybody else is looking for? You know, it's like it, it's obvious why it is trending. Yeah, and, and you're also relevant, bro. Like you you um, you can share something with someone that could, like you said, be having the exact same experience as you and boom, it resonates and it clicks for them. And you just made a connection with someone. And not only that, but you were able to express something that, you know, that you've been through and put it out to the world to share uh and for somebody else to consume and enjoy and, and you know translate your art in whatever uh, form they want really definitely bro bro being with that mindset of always evolution because i see that you saw being a doctor as your first choice but you never lost that grind where did you work at before like was there certain shops or places or uh, Papa owned shops that you like to shout out that you might have worked for. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd like to shout out a very local fucking uh, store named McDonald's in this bitch. That was my first, was my first job ever, bro. That was my first Mickey D's. job ever. Yeah, Mickey D's, bro. And I come from a line of Mickey D's workers. My mom worked at fucking Mickey D's. All my uncles and cousins and shit that came from Mexico worked at Mickey D's. And... Bro, I remember the day, the exact day that I was able to work legally, I fucking got a job, bro. And I was grinding, bro. I was at McDonald's happier than life, bro. Fucking smiling, enjoying the shit out of it. And I worked at uh, the McDonald's on 12th and Valencia. So it's probably like one of like the busiest McDonald's on the south side for those uh, of the people that don't know Tucson. Um, this intersection is like in a, a low-income like high traffic area and um bro i was fucking grinding bro i was determined to be the best worker at that mcdonald's period <laughs> i remember there's this there's this guy bro his nickname was fish uh i don't remember <laughs> his actual name but his nickname was fish and this motherfucker worked so hard bro and he was so good he was so good every day i would go in there and try to like one up him than <laughs> this guy but yeah bro i was i was at mcdonald's for two years um and my mom at the time um she was living in the u.s but not legally and uh she was working um under uh somebody else's social security number and i'm like a year and a half in uh to my mcdonald's career and my mom calls me and um she says hey hola mijito um Oh yes, eh, me habló blah blah blah. She told me that um, you know, uh, she's under investigation and that I should I should not I should not work uh, with her social security anymore. And I'm uh I had I'm finishing up my my junior year of high school, and and now I'm the sole breadwinner for my home. So um, I I pick up extra hours. I start working more. Literally, I'd be off at school at two. I would work to like midnight. Um, and um, I was easily, you know, probably I was, I'm pretty certain that I was the only person at my high school that was working full time and going to school at the time, at least that I knew. And uh, it was tough, bro. It was tough. Uh, it felt like, um, It felt like uh, I I had to I had to do this for my whole family, and if I wasn't successful, then my family would, you know, not be out on a limb. Food. Yeah, and then even worse, bro. I got to the point where like I was stacking up extra hours, getting overtime. I think I got like a quarter raise at some point, and I was like ecstatic about it. And then I get a letter in the mail, and my grandma like she's like, "Hey, mijito, like, can you open this for me? Tell me what it says." And it's from Section 8. And and the letter said, hey, um, you make, uh, in, your, in your household, you make such and such money so you don't qualify for Section 8 housing anymore. Holy. Yeah, bro. So I'm like, now I'm, I'm fucking working hard to make this money to make ends meet for my family. And now I've, I've worked too hard. And... Um, they took my my grandma's section eight away 
And what Section 8 is, for people who don't know, it's like a it's like a housing opportunity for like low income families. Um, so they help place you into, um, into homes and get a roof over your head, um, at a really good price and they help you pay some of the rent. Um, so we went from, um, being helped with our rent to not being helped with our rent at all. And I was like, uh, I felt very guilty, bro. I felt guilty. I felt like I had messed things up, you know? Yeah. And and unfortunately, like, I, I literally had to go and meet with these people. Mind you, I'm, I'm 17. And I, and I go meet with these people and I find out exactly how much money I can make before they take my grandma's uh, Section 8 housing away. And um, I cut down all my hours and um, made it work uh, so that my grandma was able to keep her Section 8 and me still be able to work. Um, and along with that, uh, it cut down on our household income. So, like, now we weren't, you know, having as much money. We weren't having enough money for food, as, as enough money for bills, uh, and enough money for leisure at that, you know, like, we we weren't really like going out or having fun or doing anything, but, um, we always found ways to make ends meet. And, um, my grandma, uh, would, I remember my grandma would, uh, make tortillas, bro. She's fucking make the best tortillas in the world. And we would sell it at our apartment complex and she would sell, uh, a dozen tortillas for $2, bro. And she would make them what? a little balcony, bro. And people would literally, dude, we, we had lines. We had lines at the fucking apartment complex, me and my grandma, bro. And for two dollars. For two dollars, dude. Two dollars. <laughs> two dollars a dozen, bro. And um and we would do things like that. We would like we would have like yard sales, we would make like tamales, like anything that we could possibly do to, to make ends meet. Um and yeah, man, like um I'm I'm so grateful for McDonald's in the sense of like, fuck, I needed a job and I needed to help my family. And this place gave me a place, like gave me a place to work and do that for my family on top of like really fucking teaching me about the hustle, bro. Like people were working hard, bro, for minimum wage, for literally the, the minimum amount of money that you could make. People were working their ass off, bro. And I knew people uh, at the McDonald's that I was working at that had been there for five years, 10 years, bro. And they were making maybe $2 more than me, a dollar more than me if, you know, if they were lucky. And something clicked for me, like, this, this, is, this isn't me. I can't, I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't be a, another McDonald's worker in my family the rest of my life. I, I got to do something. I got to make something of myself. And um, I gradu I graduated uh, from high school and I kept working. I remember I bought my first car and um, my mom had uh, literally like right when I was graduating, my mom ended up being able to find a job with a house cleaning company. So my mom was working again, thankfully right at the end of my high school career and it changed everything bro it, it literally went from me 
staying here in Tucson and, and uh, keeping on the grind and um, helping my family to me being able to do something for myself. And, and my mom had that conversation with me and she told me, she's like, hey, um, I know you're worried and, and I know you've done a lot for us, but um, you really uh, should live your own life. And you should really uh, go and expand and 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 find yourself and do it what you love, you know. And um, and that's what I did, bro. I I sold my car, and I and I moved, bro. I moved to San Diego and fucking followed my dreams. Bro, your mom, your story is an inspiration, bro. Your mom is your everything. Yeah, bro. She's a fucking. She's a warrior, bro. Single mom, a fucking education. Like she went to college. She was an accountant in Mexico. Like fucking pretty yeah. well off in Mexico. Um, and um, and she gave it all up, bro. Her friends, um, uh, our family, um, her job, to move to some place with her son where she was gonna go and and flip some burgers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bro. You know, it's it's not only your journey is like like who who was there? That's mama. That's crazy, brother. I wish I had that same same type of love or, or aspiration towards my mother, but I don't have a mother of blood to say, you know. She left me when I was seven years old. I was living with my grandparents. Um she was always with her other cohorts or her other husbands. It was very hard to, to actually have a concrete relationship with my mother. But yeah, I, I wish I had that same type of value woman in my life. You know, I have more than I can ask for now as my mother-in-law is the same thing as a mother. But yeah, man, I commend your story. It is beautiful. Um, when you were younger um, with like your, um, with your mom leaving you at seven and, and your dad passing away at, at 16, um, did you ever like try to like find someone to fill those voids or or what were you doing with yourself at the time? Yeah, I went into like that dark vibe thing where I was just bringing in relationships and not even in relationships. It was more of just me feeding off their energy and just doing it for the wrong reasons. And once I got what I wanted from the relationship, I would just ghost them. It was very hard for me to, to actually find true love where it was just like stagnant and when i met my wife i knew it was it was that true connection you know and throughout the years we had rough patches but at the same time it was it was developmental um yes i was filling in those voids bro i was when you met your wife um did you like uh did you have like a lot of feelings of insecurity um because of like your your hard relationships with your parents so like typically for for someone um in a typical household you know they have both they have both their parents they have uh hopefully two parents who are in love and, and with each other and supporting each other and they have that full family feel you know um do you feel like you not having that experience uh took a toll on your relationships yeah it did um, I had grandpa and grandma, though. Um, they were there. My grandfather was my back. Um, he was everything to me. He taught me the ways of being. He taught me business. He was an engineer back in the day. Um, 
he would actually build wrought iron doors, and I was eight years old pitching $15,000 deals to businesses because he built wrought iron. So I was a little fat kid selling security windows. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <coughs> yeah, yeah, man. man. It's something different, um, trying to develop a, a real relationship with someone and then um, maybe not having uh, anyone to look up to at that point for uh, for what a, a loving, warm household should feel like, you know? Yeah. 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 I feel like throughout the years, even with my children, like I was still a kid raising a kid. You know, I felt like I was too harsh on my daughter or I was very stern. Um, I didn't know how to navigate certain things. So I would burst or I would have episodes where I would just start crying or have anxiety attacks uh, because of it, because I didn't know how to handle that emotion. I didn't have that from my mother or my father. My father was always working 24 seven. Uh, he worked for uh, caregiving as well. He worked with people who were mentally disabled. And he was gone for one week, and then the week after that, he would find gigs, and I would hardly see him. So I was raised by my grandfather, honestly. But yeah, it was it was, it was was harsh to, to fill those voids, you know? Yeah. Well, um, what was your grandfather like? My grandfather was honestly the best person you can think of outside of home. In home, he was very silent, very strict, stern. Um, when I was with him by myself, he would teach me lessons. He would he, he made me, honestly. But when it was with my grandmother, he was always quiet, very silent. They had a very rough relationship. My uh, aunt was actually mentally disabled, and they would both take care of him. So honest. B, I want to say it was because of her that they were still together. Uh, but it was a very disturbed, chaotic uh, childhood for me, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, thank goodness, you know, like you, you at least had them um, to guide you and help you. And, and God knows that fucking raising a child as a child isn't easy. Absolutely. Um, man. Yeah, but look at you now, bro. Look at you now, proud papa. Two we got to do that, man. Lots we got to do that every day. Wonderful, exotic animals, you know. That's They're awesome. the inspiration. They're the reason why we're here, you know. These kids are, honestly, my first child was the one who pushed me to the limits. Where I saw things and experienced things and I was like, damn, like, this is life. Like, imagine growing to your 20s and not having any responsibility. It's a different mindset. Because you're thinking about how am I going to feed my child? Where, where do I need to get the diapers? Taking them to their physical appointments. And my second child comes around and then she's like another blessing, you know? Um, she actually had something through the beginning of her life called febrile seizures. So she seizes when she has high fevers. And that was another impactful story, you know, that changed my, my whole perspective of the way I was guiding myself. So I, I feel like my children as well, they they made my new me or my evolution of me. Yeah, I, I've kind of been stuck on that um, recently because I, I've been thinking about like. Um, um, I, fi I finally got to a place in my career where I feel kind of stable. I feel like I have like a, um, a good business. You know, I have a good head on my shoulders. I'm not like. I'm not out like partying and getting fucked up like I used to. I, I'm definitely more in touch with like my real self, I feel like, rather than like, like you said, fucking filling those voids. 
Um, and I've been thinking about a family a lot lately. And um, my partner at uh, right now is Stephanie. She, she's a, she's very hesitant about having a family because of of her childhood traumas and what she's experienced as a child. So she's very afraid of to bring someone into the world, and you know, not be a successful parent. And um, that's been resonating a lot with me lately, bro. Like I, I feel like in my heart, like I really want to have children and a family because I feel like that's how, that's how our essence is, is is carried out in the world. You know what I mean? Like that's I feel like uh, when people have children, that is literally your bloodline. Like something that came directly from you and and the other person you chose to to make this one being and that is what's going to carry you years beyond years beyond the time that you're gone hopefully you know um and see to say it bro because like look at the greats cesar chavez or martin luther king jr you know it is not for everybody and if that is your calling by all means pursue it because if you you're being like you're saying you're resonating with it on a constant it's because it's picking at your brain but there's certain people out there that some like females get this a lot. Like, when are you gonna grow up? When are you gonna get a child? Or when are you gonna get married? The fuck you mean? Why are you questioning her when it's not your life? It is not you to say what you want. But at the same time, some people have that calling to be a father or a mother. You know, everybody has their different perspective in life. But I like that you mentioned that because it's it's something that is alerts me a lot on a daily because I see that within my family. You know, like, oh, you guys are done? No more kids? Like, it's not only your business. You know, it's it's my family. That is why you get married, I'd say. Or marriage is not something that I like to put a frame on it because throughout the years I've evolved my, my thinking of it. But when you're married you or you're with somebody and you love them and you want to share a new life with them, you're creating something new. So this, the things that bother those people are no longer inside of this pot. This pot is only yours and your significant others. Yeah. Yeah. And like even the whole marriage thing, bro, I, I really didn't believe in marriage uh, for a long time. And um, maybe I just like wasn't with the right partners or maybe it was like my past childhood traumas that I hadn't seen a successful marriage before in my life. Um, but um I ended up um, becoming an ordained minister because my best friend Tarzan was getting married and um, he wanted me to marry him and his wife. And when I was learning about it and um, as I was like taking the course online, um, like this is like uh, something like truly special that happens between two people, bro. It, it's two people dedicating their lives to each other um, through thick and thin. And I feel like it gave me like such a great appreciation for like what it is to be a partner and what it is to to have a family and, and what it is to have a successful marriage with someone. And um, now I feel like that's like something that I want, um, not for like the title or like the security of knowing that someone loves me, but the the feeling of breaking a cycle and not being scared of something like that from our past traumas and, and feeling like hey you know what maybe i didn't have these experiences going up maybe i didn't have a a, a happy you know uh mama papa experience uh growing up but maybe i can break that cycle and maybe i can be you know 
an example for my children and for and for who's to come after me. Yeah, that see that's that's inspirational because you're showing that to your generation, and like you said, it carries your essence because. Give it or not, man, nine times out of ten, that, that same type of uh, navigation or thought process is still within that child. So if you have a child that, for say, Fernandez or Vicente Fernandez, Fernando Fernandez, his son, he was a singer as well. And it's not because daddy put him into the ring. It's because he worked his ass off as well as dad to get to that ring. You know, it's, it's it because it carries the essence, like you said. Yeah, man. I just wanna. I wanna. I wanna feel like I. I can leave this world one day and, and feel happy uh, with the way that I've treated people and, and and hopefully the way that I raise my family and and that they continue doing the same for the the Walters to come or whatever the fuck <laughs> they want to name themselves. I don't care. <laughs> Bro, we talked a lot about your spirit. But I have a couple questions here with spirituality that I want to get into touch. Uh, we talked about your dreams, your motivation. Do you have anybody you consider a motivation in your current life? Maybe a person or maybe an animal. A motivation in my, in my life. Um, um, it's hard to pick like a specific one. And like, I, I, I guess like it'd be easier for me to, to navigate like a, like a business wise or like just in general in my life. Just in general, when you wake up every morning, you're like, this is my motivation to get me up. But as well, is there anything that you resemble within a persona within your current life or an animal? Um, I'm not sure. I have, I have to think a lot about the, the animal part, but with a person, um, definitely my mom, I want to, I want to make my mom, proud and, and i want her to to you know be happy with the way and and feel proud of the way that she's raised uh her children i feel like my mom is is really down on herself for a lot of our experiences in our childhood so um i feel like when i win she wins and uh, it really gives her a lot of peace of mind and happiness to see that that you know her children are doing well despite all the challenges we had growing up and um, aside from my mother, um, I think my partner, Stephanie, uh, at the time, um, it's, uh, I think it might be a little bit different for men and women, but like women are powerful all on their own. You know, they can do whatever, they can hone the world, they can rule the world all on their own and, and, and you know, not lose any sleep over it. But for a man, I feel like there is this, there's something that happens, at least for me, that when I'm around my partner and I'm, I'm with her, I, I'm like a superhuman, bro. I feel so good. I feel like I can conquer the world. Like she, she brings me so much peace and like so much positive uh, energy and like creates such a safe space for me to, to do what I do. And, um, and she really motivates me to like keep going. And uh, in my line of work um, as a DJ, um, it's it's hard for my partners, bro. Like uh, for like the the women that I've dated in my past, bro. It's always it's it's all fun and games, and they they love the idea of dating a DJ and like what comes with it. 
and they think, oh yeah, I can handle it. You know what I mean? I can, I can, I can deal with all like the the girls coming up and saying hi and then posting pictures or whatever. And uh, it works out like that for a little bit, and then it starts really settling in, um, like three, four months into the relationship, um, because that means like. If my partner works a traditional job, you know, like a, a nine to five or whatever, um, when they're getting out of work, I'm like prepping to go into work. So like a lot of people uh, who have dated me in the past, I don't think expected to feel the weight of like, for example, me showing up at 3 a.m., you know, uh, four nights a week. But that speaks loud on security as well, bro. Because if that they're not feeling safe, and this goes to show, like, what about relationships with with like dancers or people that are in the dancing industry? You know, it's like once you feel that security within yourself and you feel comfortable within your own skin, I think then at that point you lose that sense of distrust. You automatically give that trust to the person you love, and like you're saying, it might be that Stephanie is the case that you feel like a superhuman because she loves herself and you love yourself, and it's a beautiful chemistry yeah man and um she's been real supportive of my career and like she never like um like trips about like me you know like posting videos of girls dancing on the dj booth and things like that and i really do think you're right it has a lot to do with security and like the trust that we put in each other also like with the beginning of our relationship like we set like really good foundations for each other and kind of like gave each other like mission statements of what we wanted out of the relationship and then would periodically check in with each other. But now it feels so, uh, it feels so good, bro. Like I feel like, um, a lot of this relationship, I felt really scared. Um, I felt really, uh, hurt still from, um, my past experiences in relationships. And, um, when I felt like I was like, uh, like my connection was growing uh with the stephanie that a piece of me was just scared you know like what's gonna go wrong what's what's gonna mess up what's gonna what's gonna be the downfall and in instead of like me enjoying my relationship uh, to the fullest with this person who, who i love and, and care about and enjoy being around i always carry this unnecessary weight on my shoulders and and it was all because of past traumas and and fear bro and I feel like I'm barely like getting over that hump. And man, it, it feels so good. It feels so I good. I can relate. Yeah, bro. Because it's like, it takes a certain point in your life to realize like, we are the ones who are fucking up our own mindset. Because if you're constantly thinking that, it's going to happen. You know, it's just a matter of when you're putting it out there. And like, like you said, man, it, anything you think of, whether it's positive or you're negative or negative, your mind does not have any sense of discrimination to your thoughts. It will make it realization as long as you continue to remember yourself. Oh, I'm going to get here to this point, or I'm going to lose my girlfriend because of this. And you continue to think that it's going to happen. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, bro, like, I feel like we, we choose the weight we carry, mm -hmm. you know? We pick and choose in our mind um, what thoughts you know, we're going to pay attention to and which, uh, which of those feelings that we're going to choose for ourselves. And a lot of times, um, this hurt 
and this fear is is self-inflicted because we're choosing to carry it with us and um being able to let go of something like that is one of the hardest things um and most important things that you can do for yourself like like mentally and spiritually and and every every aspect in your life will change when you start choosing which weights you decide to carry or not yeah yeah bro because it like at the end of the day man it's all you it's all you nobody else has your name <laughs> bro what animal do you think you resemble like if you look uh, into the, the spectrum of the world and you see all these animals who's walter is the don't um and i think like maybe um i i really like uh like the turtle or like the tortoise um because uh i feel like um i feel like i try to create a safe space for everyone i try i feel like um I'm good at taking care of the people that I love. I feel like I'm good at taking care of the people around me. Um, I feel like I'm passionate about like um, like long-lasting relationships and um, building connections with others. Um, and uh, I, I like helping others. And the other day, I saw a video of a. Uh, it was just a, it was a it was a turtle swimming in a pond and it had flipped over and it had flipped over and it was waddling all crazy you know the flippers were going up and it was very clearly in distress and in the same pond there was a maybe like 10 or 12 other turtles and they all gathered around the bottom of where this other turtle was flipped upside down until uh the turtle who was flipped upside down could find a grip with one of its um, with one of its feet and able and was able to flip back over, and I don't know why, but that that like resonated with me so much, and I feel like uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I like the turtle. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, man, the turtle is very wise. Um, there's lots of hidden knowledge. Um, very blunt. Uh, I'm thinking of Master Ugwe here. <laughs> yeah man you you sense and it might be that we were raised by our grandparents you know it's just that old soul oh, type shit. of feeling oh shit damn i hadn't even thought about that <laughs> you know that old soul carries that essence it carries that power i, I remember my grandfather talking about him being 16 well nine to 16 years old carrying sacks of rice on his back because he needed to provide for his aunts. His uh, mom had to send him off with his aunts because they had a small, medium ranch in uh, Pueblo Nuevo, well, not actually Pueblo Nuevo, Toluca, Estado Toluca, Mexico. Toluca. And he would wake up in the morning, go to school, pick up some sacks of rice, come back to school. So he would ditch classes or whatever he was being taught to go back and work. So it was like, uh, like kind of your story, you know, my grandfather, old souls. Man, I think 
the turtle does have a lot of uh, intuition. You know, they, they don't they don't easily forget a lot of things. Looking at the spectrum of the animal, they're very inquisitive. They they're very opportunist. Um, when they eat, they're very savage. They, they tend to tear everything apart and they move their hands forward, you know, tearing the animal to pieces. There's a lot of intuition because I, I think they're not partially blind. They're not blind at all, I think. But their, their senses, you know, it's almost like the shell might carry some type of vibrance. But I don't know if you didn't know, but when you touch the, the turtle or you the tortoise, the top shell has sensory uh, neurons or certain certain type of waves that if you touch it, you can damage it. It's like kind of like if you were touching its skin. So that's why they say don't paint your turtle or don't put anything on your turtle's back because you can essentially damage its back. It might be the case that there's some type of sensory going on that he's carrying all that weight in himself, you know? What is your favorite animal, bro? My favorite animal. Oh, dude, I think my favorite animal is the cockroach. The cockroach? Like, yeah, the cockroach, bro, is resilient. And it, it withstands. And Radiation. It pushes through. <laughs> it fucking it feeds on whatever it can take. It fucking uh, can be small. It can be huge. Um, and um, it's like a to the to the regular human. It's a pest. It's a pest, you know. And in my mind, when I think of a cockroach, I just think of like a survivor. Someone who's willing to do anything to survive. And um, aside from everything going against them, they're still everywhere. And they still live. Bro, I just got this thought. But you should get some hissing roaches and then record record the beat and then put it in your music. (laughs) Put it in my mixes, huh? (laughs) Yo, that'd be crazy. That'd be so awesome. Some shakers. People keep them, bro. Like you have colonies of cockroaches. I used to keep dubias. I had an infestation going on. I had to get rid of them, but it was like a colony of like a hundred and some, and then I don't know where it's like a thousand and some. But I was feeding them to my animals, the the uh, dubia roaches. <laughs> Holy shit! It's like from hundreds to thousands, <laughs> like an exponential growth. Yeah, bro. They multiply yeah. like crazy. Yeah, but to me, I don't know why why cockroaches just seem so incredible to me. I feel like something that's never gonna go away. No matter how much people try to get rid of it, it's gonna be there and it's gonna it's gonna keep grinding, doing what it has <laughs> to survive. Yeah, man. We don't look at the small microscopic form, and I like looking at the microscopic area of our perception. There's a lot of shit going on that we don't think about all the transaction, you know, <laughs> like. For example, what happens when you eat something? Like we don't think about like your stomach moving. We don't think about it metabolizing all those fluids. But it's a lot of shit. So a lot of these organs are communicating with each other. All of these specimens are talking. I think that's interesting in itself. Things we don't really comprehend. Do you feel any type of spiritual connection to an animal? Kind of like when you, m- you might see a cat, bird appear t- onto you, or any animal that you think has have a presence in your life. Um, 
I don't I'm not I'm not too certain but um and I'm not sure if it's just like uh, what I was paying attention to during that time of my life because it, you know it stuck out to me um but I feel like definitely like in my younger years like 17 through like 19 I kept getting followed around by owls bro owls owls bro and like I would see them like hella random and shit all the time and then i remember like me and my best friend tarzan we moved out to san diego together and hey, we, is this the real tarzan you're talking about yeah you know, yeah he's he, the realest tarzan i know and <laughs> i know um but yeah he's my best friend man we we moved out there together um he was like on on his last limbs here in tucson going through some shit and i had been planning to move uh with all these friends to california and live together and then as the day started trickling down uh to us like moving out and going over there like one by one they started dropping and like next thing you know i was by myself and i said "Fuck it i'm gonna do this two days before uh i left my homie tarzan calls me and he's like hey um i really don't know what's going on in my life right now like i got all this shit going on um would you mind if i came with you and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, perfect, you know? Um, we didn't have a job or anything out there. We both had maybe like, I, I think he had maybe like a thousand bucks saved up from like uh, working. And I had just sold my car. So I had like $1,500 maybe. And we were going to go out there and we were going to try to find a job and Hopefully, within the month, we were able to make some money to keep living out there. It was our goal. Anyways, plane tickets were too expensive. I didn't have a car anymore. So we took a bus uh, from here to San Diego. And then uh, we got dropped off in the middle of the fucking night uh, by the pier because we obviously chose the cheapest bus ticket possible. Fucked around in downtown San Diego trying to find some place we can fucking put our heads under for a little bit until we got a, a car rental and um we weren't moving into our apartment for another three days um so we were living in the car for the time being looking for jobs um and i remember the first night we we parked at, at a hotel and we go uh to the back parking lot of the hotel and we get ready to go to sleep and we're under a light post and i look up bro and there's a fucking big ass owl on top of the light post and i remember just staring at it and like i was in shock at first and then the owl wouldn't break eye contact with me it was just like it felt like it was staring directly in my soul and i remember uh laying in the car just staring at the fucking owl for like an hour until i passed out <laughs> And then, like in, in another few instances in San Diego, owls again, owls and owls. And then I fucking saw the fourth kind, started freaking myself out and shit. I was like, "Oh my god, is this some extraterrestrial fucking supernatural shit going on with me or what?" Damn the owl! The owl is very uh, unique. Have you seen it without feathers? That shit looks crazy. <laughs> yeah, that shit looks nuts without feathers. <laughs> 
it looks almost diabolical. Like it's like um like uh the gargoyles that they used to put in front of the churches. That's how it looks. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It gives off. It gives off that energy sometimes when like you stare at it like that, it, it, like something fucking powerful, like you know, like. I think they're high satians. Birds are high satians. They have some type of evolution that they just get it. Like they fly. Come on. <laughs> they fly, but they can also like fly together, and they can like, create formations. They can migrate. All, all like I to me, all like living species that fly are on some other shit like have you uh i'm sure you have but um one of like uh one of like my dream trips is to go and watch the monarch butterflies in monterrey mm, um, no i haven't gone no okay so like no. monarch butterflies migrate um all the way from like the tip of north america down to mexico to like this like place where all the, all these butterflies uh, migrate to and they go and um you know and they mate and and have children or whatever you know have offspring but it's it's the journey takes so long that it's literally generations of butterflies traveling to this destination and they all fly together and they all show up to the same communal space and to me for them to be able to do something like that is fucking a lot. mind blowing. Generations, generations of butterflies on one journey. Damn, that gives me the chills. That's almost like the ancestral thing, you know. Like we're we're butterflies in a sense, you know. We're going through pupae stage and we're cocooning and we're becoming this beautiful butterfly. Yeah, and that's we're, crazy. We're, and we're all going somewhere. And then sometimes okay. when you're when you're that first generation at second generation you have no idea where you're going but you know that that's where you're supposed to go yeah man once you feel like you don't know where the hell you're at and you're like am i here or not and you feel good about it it feels good <laughs> bro what is your favorite genre of music my favorite genre of music right now is uh i love house music right now i love house melodic music. house i love techno right now um I definitely wasn't like into electronic music at all growing up. I was very much into like um, like boom bap and like hip hop, old school hip hop. I was creating like lo-fi beats uh, and I was creating boom bap beats. I was sampling a lot in my early stages of my career. And then um, I uh, I feel like I started there and then I ended with electronic music because I I love the culture, bro. And I love the way that, that the music makes me feel. Sometimes uh, a lot of these songs that I listen to, they don't really have like a lot of prominent lyrics um, like rap music does or like pop music or, or reggaeton does. And um, I really find it easy like to relax and, and myself in like in a trance almost with this style of music and it's fucking grown on me and i love it and the community's been incredible and um i love my journey with it right now because definitely like a lot of my fans and my followers are not um big electronic music lovers um and for me to do something like uh electronic music or shift into electronic music 
um, felt really good because it felt like I was doing something for myself. It felt like I wasn't just trying to like people please. And that's what I do at the clubs, you know, like I people please at the clubs most of the times. And I wish I could go and fucking rip four hours of house music at, at a nightclub on a Saturday. But that's just like not the way it works um, when you work as an open format DJ and like people are going out to have fun. Um, so I, I feel like it was like a good step for me to to really do something for myself and to hone in on to something that I love uh, j just on my own and not for anybody else as far as like my energy. do you think it's like our culture here in Tucson sorry to interrupt you there bro but the uh, culture do you think it's like the house music that we don't have a love of viewers or calling for for house music or do you think that something that needs to be developed it definitely exists it definitely exists and I feel like the community is uh, pretty strong in, in Tucson it's just uh, like very spread out um spread out in the sense where like uh, a lot of different age groups um love that type of music and might not like a certain type of venue that they can all congregate to um but i remember in my early dj years like there was like there was djs that were throwing parties i remember i used to go to these parties called dazed and confused there's this party group and they would throw the fucking coolest fucking after parties ever bro you show up at 3 a.m you show up at Solar Culture, Galactic Center, or some random warehouse. There's this fucking, I remember my first time going, there's a fucking huge fucking bodyguard at the door checking people in. And I look in and it's pitch black and all you see is fucking lasers and like loud ass, <laughs> loud ass electronic music. And um, this guy pats me down as I'm going in and at the end at the end of him patting me down this would like he gives me a hug bro he like embraces me and he says he's like welcome come on in and, <laughs> and dude it was like the trippiest experience because like from all the shows all the hip-hop shows i had done all of like the pop shows i had done i had never had a bodyguard welcome me so warmly to like some place you know yeah. And after that, bro, I started realizing how in touch that community is with each other and, and how good they are to each other. Um, and then I started looking into um, the music itself and started producing some of it. And I love the production standpoint. It's like a, a four in the floor. So it's like a, a kick, a hi-hat, and then a snare. And that's repeatedly through the whole song. So like when you're watching this live, um, and and you're dancing and and you're really trying to like uh, be in in touch with like the performance. It's really easy to like uh, get into a trance and, and and find a safe space for yourself. And and um, um, it, it almost feels like you're meditating. You know, it feels like you're you're in line with like a lot of other people and um, like you're in the same wavelength with a lot of other people at those shows. So I I really love um, the electronic world right now. Yeah, it's transformative. There's a lot of things going on with it, huh? Bro, since we tapped into music, let's tap into those QAs and we should be done. All so right. we did talk about your uh, spirit animal, bro. Um, so we're going to go with the turtle, right? You said you were, you were more in resemblance to the turtle? Yeah. Maybe owl, yeah? The turtle. 
Yo, if you had to choose between both, uh, R&B or modern hip-hop? Um, uh, R&B. I love, I love R&B because there's real singers, at least old R&B. You had to be a real singer. Yep. And a lot of R&B artists are usually like talking about something very personal, They're talking about love, their relationships, you know, something that, you know, might have happened to them in their lives. And it's uh, I, I can really admire when someone puts himself in a, vul in a vulnerable place like that. And uh, yeah, I take R&B over modern hip hop, I think. Yeah, bro. R&B is like. I think I grew up in R&B and doo-wop. That's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Club gigs, festivals, or yard events? I think festivals. Um, just because um, I get to play what I want. I get to play the music that I enjoy. And I get to share that for people who are going there um, for music. And to have a, 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 a sonic experience compared to like the nightclub um, people can go to a nightclub for a lot of reasons and it not just be the music it can be for um, a socializing it could be for meeting um, you know new friends it could be for drinking it can be for just uh, getting out of the house um, and a lot and a lot a lot of times it is uh, to go and hear some music and dance but at a festival that's the sole reason you're going yep a festival can create a lot of momentum because of the energy that's going on. And I understand that value in the festival, bro. So eventually we got to make the next Woodstock. We got to make that happen. <laughs> I think that's one of my dreams. I've, I think um, I've, I've taken a lot of business ventures this year. So I've, I've kind of like uh, stepped away from, from Zima for a little bit until I can like really hone in on where I can, I can host it next. Um, but I think uh, on the, in the long run, for my entertainment career i think that's definitely where i want to go i definitely want to uh create events and i feel like yeah, i'm good man. at it and i feel like i'm i'm really good at I gathering the right people and um and setting the right vibe you know yeah bro you have a lot of momentum in you and the way you carry yourself your charisma it's probably those tortillas you would sell <laughs> two dollars a dozen i'm like yeah. <laughs> And golden, bro. Favorite psychedelic? Um, probably LSD, probably acid. I, I had such like a fucking humbling experience this last time I took it. I took it, and this is dumb because like I've had experiences before, but I took it going to a festival and, um, I kind of took it in a form of like, uh, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to party, you know, I'm going to party with this. And that shit humbled me so <laughs> fucking quick, bro. So fucking quick. I remember just standing there and like fucking all the boots and cats were sounding like. <laughs> and, and I remember, bro, just like. I had I had bought VIP passes to this um, to the show, and I had taken my current partner with me, and um, I remember we were having a conversation with each other, and we we're just like standing there, we we're like both like on the ride already, and we're like, "Yo, what should we do?" And I couldn't figure it out, and I remember like feeling very insecure, and I remember feeling like um, 
uh, pretty alone uh, in the moment. And I remember saying like, oh, maybe we can just go to, to the little VIP area on the side. And she's like, yeah, the little VIP area in the side. And then at that moment, for some reason, like something clicked to me and to my partner, like, yo, what the fuck? What the fuck do we mean? The little VIP section on the side, like that doesn't mean shit. You know what I mean? All, all of that, like glamour or like um, social status of, of being in a space like that wasn't going to take away the feeling of alone, of aloneness or um um insecurity that i was feeling at the time and like, you should have jumped in the crowd bro <laughs> bro i should have i should have but dude i was i was having like such like um a humbling experience at the time that it really made me think about like all the things that really matter to me like it, why why do i spend money on these fucking 200 dollars shirts why do I buy $400 shoes so, so someone can say they're nice? Why don't, if I really love this shirt or I really love these shoes, like, why don't I just buy the bootleg version of them that costs, you know, half the price? How come I don't do or, that? Or support, support my local business owner. Yeah. Why, why don't, why am, why am I not doing that? Like, is it because I have something to prove to others? And it couldn't be that, like, because I could have just bought some fake shit and wore that, you know, and people would have maybe not better than I at it. Or, like, was I doing that to, to myself to fill some sort of void, to feel like to feel like I have something, to feel like I uh, like I've made something of myself to give myself some sort of uh, validation through these items that mean nothing, mean nothing, <laughs> mean nothing, bro. It's a big rabbit hole, bro. And it continues. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> Have you uh, done mushrooms or anything else with in regards to psychedelics? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love me some mushrooms. I love me some mushrooms too. It's definitely uh, something I, I like to do more like in nature like activities or um, when I'm out exploring. Um, and yeah. I feel like a lot of. Uh, a lot more in touch with like the people around me when I do mushrooms compared to like, uh, like my LSD trips have been very, uh, to myself and very personal, uh, compared to my mushroom experiences. But, um, I'm, uh, I'm actually prepping for like a good mushroom trip coming up soon. I think, um, I have, I have some good ones and I'm, and I'm waiting for like a good four or five days that I have off where I can really just relax and, and, and see what happens. Yeah, bro. It, it's good it's it's uh i've been doing a bit of studying up on it since i've interviewed gianna she if you want to see what the uh the effects and the uh resources are watch our episode but oh did did my camera go out bro yeah yeah, yeah. webcam it says eos webcam utility yeah my battery died on that let's put you on here yeah, man. Mushrooms have a lot of properties that have detoxifying or they detoxify a lot of your body. And I think they're very, they're very uh, beneficial, you know? Do you try to like, do you try to like microdose them or do you try to go for like some heavier trips or, or how do you go about that? So I tried to spend them out six months to a year. I don't really like to do it repetitively. But if I'm if I've gotten into it, I'll do it for that month where I 
I prepare myself. I'll take a little bit first and then I'll go up because I want to achieve that, that state because in those higher states is where, you know, you find a bit of knowledge or a bit of wisdom. Um, I'd say maybe like a microdosing to me would be almost like the placebo effect. I don't think it has, or it benefits any way other than physically or, or your health. Um, but when you achieve those lower states, you do seem to have some type of clarity. I've, I've noticed that you, you tend to see more coloration or vibrance in the world. But I honestly don't see the benefit as if you were to take the dose that you would like. You know, I, I, I like 2 to 2.5. That would be a good spot. 1.7 to 1.9 is what usually people say is a good, good dose. It all depends, bro. Like you could take a certain amount, but until you figure out that dosage, then at that point you you achieve that trip. And I think after that that point where I I no longer have any, and I at that point take my last of it, it's usually when I achieve that state, and then I don't do it again for another six months. You know? Yeah, I feel I feel that too. Um, I think sometimes like. Um, when I'm doing psychedelics, like, I, I feel like in my life, like I, I have like a, a lot of control over what happens, like with my business, with my studio, with my family. So like, there's a lot of control involved, um, with my lifestyle. And, um, when I do psychedelics, I think one of my favorite parts is feeling not in control and feeling like I'm losing the reins and, and letting it, it take me somewhere <laughs> rather than me planning to go somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, bro. And like I've achieved states with LSD to the point where I would somewhere, I don't know if the timeline broke, but I felt like I was transporting myself throughout my house where I would wake up and it was six o'clock and then I don't know where I would be sitting down eating food. Then I don't know where three hours later passed, but I thought it was two minutes later and I was in the shower. Like, it's insane what you can achieve by just letting go. You know, but the break in time through psychedelics is one of like <laughs> the craziest experiences, bro. Cause it could feel like, like you said, hours and it's only been minutes, or it could feel like minutes and it's been hours. I wonder, I wonder what that is like. Or like even when uh, like normal everyday life, you ever feel like a day just goes by super slow compared to some some other days. I wonder if that's like something that is like true to our consciousness and maybe those days are longer, um, but we're still like watching time the same way, you know? Because time is not real. <laughs> time is not real, brother. <laughs> Damn, I fucking that shit trips me out. That's a that's a deep rabbit hole right there. Fucking figuring out what time is. Maybe we don't have to figure it out. Yeah, huh? Maybe we can just let that be. <laughs> Brother, for the last question, public events or private events? Um uh, I think public events. Um, I've done like a lot of private events and stuff and I've hosted private events before uh, myself and it doesn't um, it doesn't feel as good as 
as opening it up to everybody, you know, like every everybody is welcome. Everybody is allowed to be here if they want to come compared to like an invite only type of gig where like you're picking and choosing who, who can come and be a part of the experience. Why not let everybody be a part of the, the experience that wants to be a part of the experience? See, that's not how I feel with like educational showings. Like I feel like it, um, it happens to be where it's like you have a family and you kind of become part of their family when you have a private event because you're including everybody. You walk up to grandma and you're showing her the lizard and you're coming back to the Theo and you're showing them the snake. So you almost feel like part of the family, whether if it's a wedding event or a private event or an educational showing. But like a public event is great as well because it, it opens up the resources where you network, you create that web becomes larger and it's not just about the people there it's about who's coming in you don't know who's coming in you're just meeting these new larger smaller vibes and you're just going with the flow so i see they're both beneficial that's a very tricky question for me but i can see where for in your stance as a dj it would be best for public events because you want to share that with everybody yeah and and in the dj world like if i'm doing a private event for like let's say a corporation i've just done a, a lot of corporate gigs recently um I just did one for the Tucson Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and it was a like a, a mixer that they were hosting. So they had all these like super smart, fancy schmancy people there, you know, chopping it up and rubbing elbows on top of like um, a good cause. Uh, they were raising money for the Sunnyside Foundation, which is a foundation that I really love. Um, that I have you know uh, work with a lot of people in the place that I grew up and. Um, um even benefited me in, in my lifetime uh going into school and being uh, low income and their help you know really resonated with my family and i um but when i'm doing these events i'm i'm delivering if they want a vibe if they want hey we want mellow music nothing too crazy i'm gonna go in there and deliver bro because that's my job that's what they yeah. hired me to do. They didn't hire me to come and be a club DJ and get everybody dancing on and grinding on the dance floor. They they hired me to create an atmosphere where people can network and where people can have a good time on top of like hearing a couple jams in here and there where people can connect uh, and maybe talk about a couple songs, but still be able to go back to whatever it is that they were discussing, you know? So like when someone hires me and they pay me to do a certain job, I take it very seriously. My um, my input at, at that point um, is out the window because I am a business and I'm going to deliver whatever my client wants. Uh, definitely. Yeah. It, you, you certainly do have to tailor your audience when it comes to the entertainment world. And that's with anything, like whether you're displaying, whether you're a DJ, whether you're an artist. And even with an artist, that's why it's so hard to, to become a successful artist because you're going to build that re resonation with a lot of your audience but then there's going to be that 50 percent that not might like you but you're going to interrogate certain themes or certain music genres to make you succeed or you have to create create your new elvis presley line you know it's like you have to become the new thing but it's very hard it's very humbling like you said to become part of the entertainment world yeah man and like just recently my most recent experience with that was like with the mix i just uh, recently put out um, I was, uh, I was trying to think like, yo, I, first of all, I wanted to put out a mix because I have, I have a problem hoarding music and I have a problem hoarding, like a lot of like the things that I create. 
And I don't know if it's because um, it's like a very vulnerable part of me or like uh, I just want it to be the best it could possibly be. But I definitely wanted to put a mix out so people can listen to some music uh, whenever they wanted, you know. And um, when I was thinking and planning it out, I was like, oh, should I make a reggaeton mix that everybody can listen to and like, should I make some sort of like clean mix that they can probably like play at their shops or businesses? And I went down the rabbit hole, bro. And I was trying to find like, what, what would people want to hear? And then like, um, I was talking to my partner about it. Cause I was having a real dilemma and, uh, she helped me get to the conclusion that I should just make something that I like and put out something that, that I really enjoy and something that I really love and would want to listen to and not worry about the, the consumers at that point. And um, just uh, release something for myself and, and have it out there. And whoever does, does decide to listen, whoever does decide, uh, you know, to press play on, on my mix, you know, they can be the, they can pick and choose if they like it or not. And then it has nothing to do with me because I know that I love it and I know that I like it. And if they like it, then great. And if they don't, then um, then they don't. <laughs> and that's okay too, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's about making you happy at the end of the day because you're the creator, bro. And like sometimes my paintings, like I'll develop, an, uh, I don't know, some type of art piece and I'll keep it to myself and I'll just look at it later on throughout the years. But I never share it because that's my passion. But I feel like if I would share more of it, it would transcend me to some way because it's it's something that I'm hoarding from myself, you know, kind of like you were. Do you ever feel like um, you shy away from sharing your art because it is your your passion or like a, a hobby and you don't want to make it into a business? That's the way I felt about reptiles, bro. That's the way I felt about reptiles. But until I did it, it was like, damn, it's, it still feels okay. You know, as, as long as I feel like I'm not overstepping or selling too much or doing too much out of the ordinary that I don't think is in line. By that, I mean, if I breed 100 snakes, by all means, I'll sell them. But where it comes to like over hoarding animals or keeping animals that I don't need for my projects, then I've really restricted myself now. But yeah, yeah it, it does come to play, bro, where I figure that out where if I have a hobby, I'm going to keep it to myself because I want to make it something special for me you know yeah and and if you're out there listening right now and you are watching us and you're thinking about maybe getting into a new hobby or finding something new to do or something you know different in your life don't be scared like don't don't think about what other people are going to say if you want to pick up a camera and and shoot some pictures because you like doing photographer photography it, don't care about people saying like Oh, now she's trying to be a photographer, huh? Oh, now he's now he's trying to be a rapper, huh? Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> do, do whatever you want. Live a thousand lives. If you don't like what you're doing, change it, find something new. Do whatever it takes to to, to make yourself happy and um, indulge in whatever piques your interest. And fucking love it and enjoy enjoy your time with yourself and whatever it is that you like to do with your creativity. Absolutely. That's that's passion. <laughs> that is passion right there, bro. And I feel like I felt out of myself like that way too. Uh, with art. 
because I, I've I've always been a fond of, of perspectives. Like even when I'm a tripper, I'm doing psychedelics. Like I, I have a pen in my hand because I, I know something is coming. And then later on I'll look at it and it's a lesson. You know, it's a hiding something within that art piece. And for me to share that, that is a lot of vulnerability. I've written songs, I've actually uploaded songs. Um, the last one I did was Good Witch back in like 2020, 2019. I love R&B, bro. I've always sang. Um, I had classes when I was younger. Um, I did opera or high tone ends, uh, but I had a very profound uh, soprano voice. And then throughout the years, it just I stopped singing. But I feel like that's something that I might want want to get back into. You know? Would you? be willing yeah. to come to my studio and bro we'll just jam we'll just jam nothing too serious nothing too crazy we'll just hang out and and we'll see what happens you know yeah i'd be willing i'd be willing yeah man i i um i really uh am trying to share my studio space with others uh now um a lot of my dj homies have been going in there and a lot of like um other producers have been going in there uh, with me and my team and we've had like such good times in there and we've got so much work done. So yeah, if you're also, if you're watching this and you're a musician or a podcaster, or if you just never been in a studio before and you want to go to one, you're invited, you're invited to my studio. And um, if you want to have it for yourself, uh, I'm booking it out uh, Airbnb style now. So you can literally go in and block, block out some hours for yourself and um and go in there and it's a self-serve studio i have uh, almost everything you can need in there uh, to create definitely bro we're gonna have to collab and have some snakes in there i love it i love it make your studio make some marketing going on there huh. <laughs> yeah i i'm uh i'm actually about to um announce it on monday so on monday i'll be Sick. i'll be putting an announcement so people can hopefully start uh, using the space when I'm not in there and hopefully uh, creating and, you know, letting their creative juices flow in there. Yeah, brother, that's wonderful. That's sick. Well, bro, that was the end of the show. I do want to thank you so much. I'm going to tap in here with you real quick. Just wait for me here on the ends. I'll be okay. right back with you. I do appreciate you, brother. This was a wonderful show. Episode uh, 12. Thank you very much. Oh, I cut you off there, brother. What were you going to say? I said, thank you very much, George. I fucking appreciate you so much, and I love you, bro. Thank you so much. Oh, much love, brother. We always love you. Man. Bear with me here momentarily. Thank you so much. This was episode 12. Amazing episode with Walters the Done. If you did miss the live, make sure to go through the entire rerun. Make sure to like and subscribe. All of our social media will be down below. I will be announcing the special guest as well for the next following week. I'm not sure if we will be booking for next week, but we do have the lovely Ariana Luna from La Bella Boutique. She will be our next special guest. And right after that, I believe we will be with the one and only Chris Carr, the bartender. Thank you so much for joining us. This was the Spirit Animal Podcast. Checking out the real George of the Jungle. Always much love.